We have a quorum, so we're good. Well, welcome everybody. Thank you for uh, joining. This is the first meeting uh, for the CPC this year. Um, last time we met was November 16th. So it's been quite some time. Um, and so I will, the agenda for tonight, um, just be, we'll, we'll introduce ourselves. We'll go through the uh, meeting minutes. Um, and then I'd like to just do a little bit of homework for our committee itself to let everyone know kind of where we are with all the applications, um, looking at the you know schedule and the budget, um, as well as um, what you see in front of you is like a, a scorecard. So I'd like to go through that a little bit. And then we will get to the funding applications. So we have five tonight. Um, so we'll, we'll start with the Spalding Garden um, and then work our way way through to the Milton's Farmer's Market. I do have about 20 minutes allowed for each spot, similar to when we did the eligibility applications. If you could limit your presentation to around 10 minutes, I won't be a stickler, but um, I, I think when we did it the first time, the last time it was it was pretty good. The second time elaborated. So we'll we'll keep it like to keep an eye on the clock in any case. So um, just introducing the committee. I'm Rob Levash, I'm the chair of the CPC. Jenny uh, Russell. Linda Weldon from the Historic Commission. Tom Callahan from the Affordable Housing Trust. I'm Wendy Garpo, the appointee for the Conservation Commission. Uh, Peter Jackson. Rich Beeler from the Planning Board. All right. Um, so did everyone, I know it's been a long time since the uh, meeting minutes probably got sent around from November 16th. I think I probably had a little few edits, but other than that, um, if everyone's okay with them, we should approve them. Motion to approve. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Right. Um, all right. So I've shown this slide a bunch of times now, but um, just so we can update everybody and kind of show where our journey has gone, um, the eligibility applications, um, which were due in October 1st of last year, um, we basically are doing the same type of review. So we kind of split up the reviews. So there was one on October 19th, there was one on November 2nd. We ended with the committee on November 16th, reviewing all those applications. And originally there was 14 applicants. We, they got, they've been narrowed down to 11 and 11 applicants have moved, asked them to move forward to the funding applications. As everyone knows that January 13th was that date um, to get the funding applications due. All 11 applicants have submitted and, and got in their paperwork. I think since that time, Julia and myself have been back and forth with applicants asking for different pieces of their applications. I feel like they're all of them are pretty good now. And, and we had a checklist of making sure that everyone kind of gave what they needed to. Um, and so that brings us to where we are today, February 8th. And um, the next one will be next Wednesday. And then the following Wednesday will be the committee's time to review those applications. And the process is for the committee is to vote on those applications and they will go to town meeting. Um, and so we will have to draft articles and, you know, for, for the uh, for town meeting and, and go before the warrant committee, et cetera. We will have two, there's basically two um, articles that will happen at town meeting. One is for all the recommendations for all the applicants that goes under one article. And then the other article will be for the funding for next year. 
Um, and that's already actually been submitted as a draft right now. So it's kind of on hold until we get the recommended projects um, there. So and, can I just yeah. ask a question about that? The March deadline, does that mean that that's when the Warrant Committee meets uh, or is that when? It's just when, honestly, it's just been kind of a placeholder that we put there. I think as soon as we can, I think like last time, it'll be really helpful. If, I think if, if like Pete, you and I, take on that process of like getting responding back in like a week or so once we get the recommendations because we need to go quick to get the get them on the article and then we would go before well, so you'd be checking on the printing date for the warrant right okay because we need to have the actual article in the warrant when so you can check with the town administrator to see what the deadline for the printing is yeah, so I have been in contact with Nick quite a bit, and then we we did give those two two in as like a placeholder for now. So, but as soon as we can get it back, we'll we'll get it we'll get it done. Um, so hopefully it's really early March or whatever that we can get that. Um, and and then I think does anyone know it was in, is is May? I, I thought I heard it was might have been June sixth or something. I don't know. It's either May. Is it in May? Okay. Uh, so it'll be May for the town meeting, and then in July is when we will, um, you know, grant grant agreements will go out to successful applicants. Um, so that's kind of how 2023 plays out. I think for right now, with these couple of Wednesdays that are going out, I do have a plan for 2024. I think we showed it probably at one of our last meetings. I think one of the big crucial things that we had this year was we didn't have a lot of time. We were like really stretched in. Um, I'd like to at least try to give applicants a little bit longer time, especially like the funding thing might only have about two months. It would be nice to give three months and three months um, in that. And so we can review that. Um, you know, once we get 2023 off our plate, we have some time after to um, open that up. But they kind of fall on top of each other because March, if we want to open up the eligibility, they're going to be on top of that. All right, so the budget for fiscal year 2023 projects. Um, can you... Oh, uh, is it, it I don't I just wonder if we can move that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's this, right? No, I, I got them out with me. Oh, you did? Oh, can you just move the zoom the, the window or minimize it? You see a cursor there. Yeah, there it is. So maybe you can just minimize that. Um so the the um where we are today, just going through it, um, what's interesting is in, in 2000, um, in, in 2022, we had about 751,000 um, of CPA funds that we collected. And then in 2023, um, there's been two state matches. So if anybody who's been following, the, there was one state match at 227,000. And then recently, in just December, there was another state match of $61,556 that Milton will be granted. And then from the surcharge receipts, it's, it was another $772,800. So you, you add all those four up, and it's, it's um, the grand total is $1.813 million. And how it breaks out is the administrative funds are at 5%, so that was always there at $51,400. And then... Of course, the three buckets, community housing, historic preservation, open space and recreation. You add just up those three buckets from the two years, about 181,000 split across. And then the budgeted reserves looks at 65% is just around $1.216 million. And then lastly, which I highlighted down at the bottom, 
the total available funds for, for the committee is about $1.761 million. Um, so I just want to highlight that because I think we had probably earlier estimates. And so this was just an update. Um, and it is a little bit better with that state match in December. It, you know, we were looking originally at like one point, a little bit, well, like 1.7, and I think it's about 1.8. So that's that's one. So Rob, can I just go back? I've been meaning to say this, and I, I keep forgetting every time we come up with this. I, this may be a a, a small point, but I, I think in in my opinion, I think those are mislabeled. Um, right? The 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 state matches are the FY twenty two state match. Oh uh, yeah, and we are, and I think we should. Account, you know, it might be an accounting thing, but I think we should account for that. Um, the state match follows, you know, several months after the, you know, uh, in November after the close of the fiscal year. But that's the way it is. It is really a state match of our FY twenty two monies. Right. So I think, you know, to be to be totally transparent and and just accurate about it, I think we should be presenting to the town meeting and to the residents that that. Whatever that is, one million six hundred. Is that IP or do, or do I have? So is is it really two thousand twenty one, and then these are two thousand twenty two? No, or is it just the fact twenty two? It's all twenty two. Yeah, this is the the receipts oh, that the town got in twenty two, and those matches are to match the town's twenty two. So that's that, correct. It can't be though. This this is right. This is right. You're. This is so, right. so the two, two match could be two thousand. The two matches are the ones that okay matching two twenty two. Yeah, right. Yeah. The, the one case coming in two twenty three because of the delay in the second round of matching. Right, it really. That's is the matching. difference because I don't think we that that's, that hasn't hit our bank account. No, but it really is fiscal year two thousand. Okay, so the two the two state matches are two thousand twenty three. But in any case, the accounting numbers yeah. are correct. Yes, the accounting the bottom line is the same. But yeah. I just think yeah. um, just so as we go forward, we should, yeah, yeah. Um, so the receipts would be twenty two as well, then, right? No, so it's just the two state but matches. Twenty two. No, because those are the fiscal year twenty three receipts. The second. Yeah, this, this really is two thousand twenty three. That really is two thousand twenty two. What was so the twenty two yeah. are already in town coffers. The others are coming as people are paying their real estate bills. Yeah. I think what threw me off is that because I don't think we have that yet. So we'll we'll switch it back to two thousand. Right. And yeah. and I think everybody knows, but that sixty one thousand is a result of the. The legislature and the governor agreeing on an additional 20 million, 20 million yeah. which happened some years, doesn't happen other years. years. And it happened in the economic development bill that got passed after the budget. So that's why there was this is very unusual. Actually, yeah. towns don't usually get a second right. sort of distribution because usually the legislature does it all at the same time. But, um, but um, yeah, with it, it usually passes as part of the budget, but it happened. After the budget in informal session this year, so in either case, we're going to have a lot less than twenty four. No, um, twenty million is is something the Community Preservation Coalition um, fights for each year. Yeah, and yeah. I mean we have a new governor, and yeah. you know, but, I mean who, well, who knows? Uh, I think it it just depends on the, it. Yeah. Really depends on the collections of people at the at the deeds, and and so right that you that never know that exactly. will be done. That will be done. I, I think what's important is that to, to, for this committee is in fiscal year 2024, which we will be working towards, is 
we're going to have a lot less money than right. we have on the table. Right? That's right. It's going to be around a million dollars. Because we'll have it's around. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. so it'll be, it always goes up, right? Taxes always go up. So it, it will probably be closer to like $800,000 plus whatever state match we get. But that's what we're going to be working. We, we won't be in the same boat as we are. Yeah. So I think that's important. So, um, so as I said, the eleven the eleven funding application. This is just a tracker that we have. Is the affordable housing trust at five hundred thirty-three thousand? There's three projects um, for historic preservation. There's the Forbes House, which we'll see tonight. The town lockup we'll see next week, and then the Spalding Garden uh, masonry stabilization project. So though, what's interesting is the three of these are around a little over uh, half a million dollars. And then there is, I think it's what, seven, seven, um, you know, recreation projects uh, that are going to come before us. Um, so I think what's important to look at this is at near the bottom, the total CPA requested funding is 1.663013. Um, so if I go back, we had about 1.78. If we, we have an excess of about $100,000, which Great, which is which is a really good position for this committee to be in, um, because we, you know, it's nice to have excess funds if if they're there. Can I ask you a question about that? Um, when you say we have that excess, that's assuming that we right. grant all those right. at the right. dollar amount that exactly. is yeah. In that yeah, and I and I think too as we go through this, like we'll see as we go as as this will go further on. Like this is the money that they're requesting, and so, um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll just have to see. But it's good that we're like a hundred thousand dollars under that budget. Under it's better than being in. So originally, when we were going through eligibility, or if you guys remember, it was at like three and a half million, and I don't and I don't think it was by happenstance. So we were really trying to, you know, crack, you know. Well, one thing you can consider too is is. Several of these projects are, or at least a couple of these projects are anticipating a phase two, right. um, which is a bigger, right, right? Studies that, you know, and there's no guarantee they would come back to us for funding in phase two, but but we we might want to bank some money in case that happens too. Right. So, right. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, and then that's going to be a discussion for the 22nd yeah. Um, yeah. is, you know, yeah, if you, if you go and fund all 11, just realize also what like studies and stuff are coming back. You know, there be there's going to be some money there, but it doesn't mean you have to fund them next year or whatever. So, um, I I will say the quality of all the applications were very good, and I appreciate all the applicants um, yeah. submitting them. I think they were they're all really good applicants. Um, so then I'll get to this funding application scorecard. Whatever what's what's in front of everybody, and I, I sent a little bit earlier. Um, some commit some. CPCs, towns do this, some of them don't do this. I see it as a way, much like we'd had our traffic light system and when we did in November, as a way to spark conversation and to evaluate the, the projects. I don't want it to be a score where, you know, if you if you add up all these categories, there's a score of total score of 60 or something. I don't want to give a project and say, hey, you're stuck at whatever score and, and, and do it as limits. It's more for a conversation spark to for the committee to talk. It also gives everyone a voice. All, all nine members gives you a voice and 
you can you can go in and rank them, and I think it will spark conversation amongst all of us to kind of figure out where they go. And I would like to just kind of look through and see where projects rank on there, and then you'll know. Just like the traffic light system, if it's really easy, okay, we'll put these through, and then we'll we'll kind of weed out the other ones. My hope is in in doing a system like this is it was built off our CPC plan. So um, it, it's in page 16 on really built on our principles and priorities. So if you read through the, um, you know, the 12 questions that are asked, it's specifically on that page 16 of our CPC plan. It's also what the applicants have gone through and, and hopefully answered in their applications, what we'll, we'll see. Um, I have another question. Uh, so I, I think you're, idea of this as a way of uh, developing conversations is really important, uh, especially as we look to the future. But so here's the question. If we have more money than we have our applicants asking for, why do we go through the process this year? I think it's a trial. So for me, okay. so for me, I just want to see how, how, how it shapes out. I think it's a really a trial. I, I know Pete and Jenny had you know, some some comment on it. I, I agree with you. I think this year we're lucky in a sense because we have more excess funds. I don't think that's, I also want the committee to be in a, a place next year. I, it's never going to happen again. Yeah, we're and, this lucky. And that's why I said, I yeah, appreciate yeah. your yeah. your effort to make it a point of conversation. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah. but in fact, uh, it probably, you know, I think it's just a way to organize our committee to like really, <laughs> and it, and it and it's back to the CPC plan. It's building a foundation for this committee to really stand on, you know, and, and so that applicants can see when they come before us, oh, I have to go through all these steps. And then next year it's not, well, because Rich is the loudest voice and he's he's fighting for one thing, it's it's over another thing or whatever. I think every gives it at least gives everybody a chance to to score it or whatever. And I, I do think too. I would like to collect everyone's like scorecard and, and add it up. We don't, we're not going to share like everybody's name or whatever. It's just like, here it is. This is the scores of these, uh, of the average scores of, of the projects. And it'll be a talking point. That's it. I, I think we, we can change. It'll, it'll happen on the 22nd where we go through. And we just like the last time we, we debated a little bit and then it, it'll help, you know, and I think this year will be easy, but it'll be kind of a trial. The other thing I think uh, will be interesting to keep in mind is that we may um, see the, these as starting points. And then as we go yeah. through the process, develop a more sophisticated look at what things we want to rank and, and how, how we want to Absolutely. maybe weight the scores. Uh, is it possible to see some of these as of greater importance, therefore of greater weight? Yeah, yeah I, I, I like it. I think town meeting is going to want to know that you put each of these through some rigor before they see it. Yeah. yeah. Any other comments? On I, I like what Linda just said about the, the various weights, too. Um, I think it's a great exercise, and it's actually maybe a low-pressure exercise, to your point, this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but it is, like, you know, like, we have 11. Question 11 is addressed does it address two or more um, CPA focus areas? And I think that should be on there. Um, but, but it might not be as weighted. But, but, it, but <laughs> it's kind of unfair to the ones that just don't have that, you know, right. so so if they get a one or two. So anyways, we, we can figure out how we weight them, I think, going forward. I think that's a, that's, um, and, and some, you know, might overlap on each other a little bit. So 
but it, it's a good, it's a really good. Um, it's a, a good starting point. And yeah. I think uh, yeah. uh, the, the way you phrase it, that it's a way of starting the conversations. Yeah. And, I, should take and I think we should just see how it goes this year and use yeah. it as a tool, not as a, you know, I could see this as being like a scorecard. Hey, if you got 40 or above, you're, you're in or you're out. Like, yeah. right. I don't want it that to, to do that. Yeah. I just want it to, much like the traffic light system, I think it worked pretty well. I think so it like, did as, as well. a discussion. Yeah. So I'm hoping that the sc this scoring system will be a similar thing. And next year, I, I know that there's going to be hard decisions next year, right? And so it would be really easy to fall back and say, listen, we discussed this. We had, we had a, a way to do this. Um, I would rather kind of fall back on that instead of like, well, we had a discussion, but Pete's the loudest void or, or Rich or anybody. And, you know, and, and it can be that way. I, I feel like it gives good input from all, all the members too. So are you suggesting that we actually hand these into you? So you can, so, so I think there's, I would love it, you know, you can keep this. I mean, you, you have the scorecards here tonight just because you'll have applicants in front of you to ask questions, write comments, you can fill it out. I would really prefer if you sent me one, one sheet back from the Excel or, or Julia so that she can like literally you will just plug this in, like it's an Excel sheet and it automatically it automatically calculates everything and so that would be the easiest but for those who don't like excel or don't want to input the data you can easily just fill it out and then give it in julie's not here tonight but you know we could we could easily do that too like we can easily take this and, and bring it in but we can also make copies and give it back to you so you have it for the 20 seconds so yeah i got a question yeah just for the process of the next two meet this meeting and the next one um I can only speak to what I've seen in the planning board, but a lot of folks are calling in, please for having comments that are in our public comment section and at the planning board, and the select board does this. We have an open at the beginning where people can weigh in yeah. and people are calling in about things. I don't see it on our agenda. Are we going to take solicit feedback from people that I'm, um, are watching? Yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad you asked the question. I think we should. Um, especially as we go through this, I think it would be good to have like a, a, a citizen speak type type of uh, forum similar yeah. to the planning board. Um, I will let comment happen for applicants. I think applicants should should present ten minutes, and if there's someone from the public here speaking, they should also be able to ask questions on the and and also you know give their views. Um, I think that's fair for this round. Um, you know. And so that's the, that's how I would treat it. Um, but I think um, we we should we should consider it like do, doing it on the on the twenty second even before meeting. Once these two rounds go through, I think we should have a public public speed. Um, I, I, we'll have to limit it, right? I'm we'll have to limit it. Yeah, I've been in some that yeah. for hours, you know. Yeah, I just worry that like we get to town meeting and that we didn't hear voices of folks. Yes, if you're because you're gonna hear it. I mean, oh yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. So important point. Um, so it's seven twenty-five now. Um, they're five minutes early, but um, Georgia, you're I'm ready. You're ready. Are you are you um are you signed down? Yeah. Okay. Look, you, you like you like my picture? I do. <laughs> um. So I just shared my screen. I think. Josh has got to give you. Okay. Okay. You haven't shared yet. Okay. Oh, I got to stop sharing. Hold on. Okay, now I can do it. Yeah. 
Closer to the screen. So yeah. Hello. So, hi, everybody. Um, the first thing I want to do is give a shout out to all the people who are on Zoom. I know a lot of people from my garden club are on, and I want to thank you all for the vision that you had for preserving this garden in the first place. So, here we have a picture of Spalding Garden. Uh, in 1926, this is from the Spalding uh, Archive, the Steel Archive, excuse me. Um, I don't know what that blue thing is on my screen. <laughs> Let me just see. You have pencil on that blue line. Oh my goodness. Okay, well, anyway, we're just going to go with it. Um, okay, so. Uh, the Milton Garden Club, as you all know, is applying for a grant to secure uh, restoration funding for Spalding Garden. The garden is of historic significance, and I have a lot of documents to share, and some of you have already probably read all of the documents. There's quite a few. Um, but it was designed by Fletcher Steele in 1924, and it has been uh, owned and maintained by the Milton Garden Club since 2004. Um, Fletcher Steele... And I may need some tech support because I don't know how to advance. <laughs> I'm printing my arrow, which is usually down. how I do it. Excuse me? Is there a page down? Uh, yes, but my arrows aren't working. And they were before I started. So I'm not sure. You're, you're in Zoom. In the, in the, ah, the okay. Stuff. And do you know how to get rid of that? I don't know how you created it. So now I'm no, there. We go. Okay. Uh, so here we have uh, the garden in spring. And um, as you know, we have a 48 page cultural landscape report that the Milton Garden Club commissioned. Uh, around 2005. And this report, I have some excerpts here. Um, I offered you all the entire report, as well as two, a two-page summary. And I'm just going to read you one quote from the two-page summary, which says, the garden offers the opportunity to preserve one of Fletcher Steele's premier residential gardens in Milton, to open this garden to the public, and to interpret the significance of his design genius. In addition, the garden offers the opportunity to illustrate the importance of landscape preservation as an integral part of planning for change. <laughs> so I think that really sums up what you all are doing on this committee. And here are just some more quotes from that landscape report. So one thing that the landscape report really calls out is the importance of the masonry in Fletcher Steele's designs. And I was there recently after snow, and you can see the herringbone patterns in, in the um, brickwork. And it's funny because this garden is really elegant on a snowy day. You see it differently 
and the forms become apparent. So I'm going to click through and show you another Vista from that one snowy day we had this winter. <laughs> um, so I have talked to a few Masons, as you all know, and I happened to find a free laid stone expert. And he had a look at the uh, east wall, which is pictured here. Um, and he offered me his insights and he offered me a price, which I'll get to in a minute. But um, I wanna talk a little bit more about his qualifications. And here's a picture of the wall and here's another picture. So as you can see, it's time for a restoration. And this is the original stone from the 1920s. So uh, we are not talking about repair. We are talking about restoration and we can talk more about that at the end if you like. Um, here are Mike Papil's assessments, um, which are all included in my uh, package that I submitted. And one of the things about Mike that's so amazing is that he is a Milton local, and he has actually worked at Forbes House Museum with Heidi. So we have someone in here who can vouch for him. And he has actually done some work at um, the Milton Cemetery. And he believes in a collaborative approach. And he believes in engaging the community. And so do we in the Garden Club. So we are really hoping to create a community engagement model. Um, everyone remembers, well, maybe we remember that you used to have a barn raising and we wanna have a wall raising. We really wanna do this together. So um, that was Mike's idea, shout out to him. I think he's on the Zoom. Um, and then he is certified by the Stone Trust, which is New England's own uh, three-laid stone wall uh, organization. And uh, I have also included some information about the Stone Trust, but do visit their website because they are the experts in historic stone walls in this area. Um, so moving right along. Uh, here we have the community preservation plan from 2022, and as you all can see, um, our um, Spalding Garden is here in the actual plan. So I know that you all, as you were framing what you wanted to do, were thinking of us, and we appreciate that. Um, so anyhow, um, the scope of the work is to pull out the existing stones and wall remnants and save the stone for reuse per the interior secretary's guidelines. And I've gone into great detail on those guidelines and how we're meeting them. And there's, the guidelines are 178 pages long. <laughs> and I went line by line for the relevant bits and you know, tried to show that we really are doing this per the guidelines. Um, we're going to dig out the soil behind the existing wall, and then we're going to find more suitable uh, stone and rebuild the wall, but this time we're going to make it double-sided because that is a better standard, and it's going to give us a wall for the ages. So um, that is our goal in doing this restoration work, um, but how does that meet your goals? So I think... Oh, and there you are, Rob. <laughs> um, so this is the garden as it is now. It's kind of a magical place. Um, some of the stated goals of the CPA include, uh, of course, historic preservation and open space preservation. The CPC plan specifically notes that the preservation and restoration of historic landscapes is among its goals and mandates, and further notes that the demand for recreation space and opportunities 
outstrips the current land available. And that's from page 34 of the CPC uh, plan. Uh, the Milton Garden Club believes that Spalding Garden offers opportunities in both historic preservation and open space categories. The garden, uh, the Milton Garden Club is working to enhance our public engagement and our public outreach. In January, we are offering a public lecture on sustainability that already happened. Uh, that was at the library. And in June, Spalding Garden will host the Garden Conservancy Tour. Other programming being planned includes horticultural programs for children at the garden, classical music programming, and of course, our community stonework and masonry program, which we hope to televise on Melton Access. Um, Spalding Garden is on the town's open space registry, and we've reached out to Tom, uh, Tim Truinsky to discuss ways to increase the garden's use by the community. Um, environmental sustainability is also a high priority for us and for this garden. Spalding Garden is organic. The garden beds are planted with native perennials, and the maintenance of the garden is done primarily with handheld, non-motorized tools. And there is our mower, the real <laughs> mower. And uh, because the ground is so flat in this garden, it's actually pretty easy to push and it's silent. So you can actually talk on your phone <laughs> and mow. And I would know because I've done it. Um, the garden is highly drought tolerant, which is important since there is no water source on the property. The garden fared very well during the punishing drought last summer, underscoring the resilience of the native plantings. Um, with regard to open space, <coughs> The 2022 CPC plan notes, given the real estate redevelopment boom, stewardship policies should be formalized between the town, commercial, not-for-profit entities, and community groups to increase publicly accessible open green spaces. This good neighbor policy is needed for ecological protection, restoration, sustainability in the face of climate change, and community well-being. This observation that Partnership is needed in order to bolster open space availability is well taken. Uh, the Milton Garden Club would love to be a good neighbor. I'm gonna keep on going. Um, let's see, there are some of our volunteers, one of our events. Um, now I'm gonna get to the good stuff. Uh, we have a letter, we have many letters. We actually have 10 letters and I'm gonna grab water. If it's that time. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Okay, so the Garden Conservancy um, notes that Fletcher Steele studied under Frederick Law Olmsted Jr. and is widely considered to be one of America's premier landscape architects. Um, the next letter I want to share is from the Library of American Landscape History, which notes, the Milton Garden Club saved this valuable cultural landscape from destruction and has also demonstrated an exceptional commitment to its stewardship for nearly two decades. Um, next, I'm going to share a letter from the trustees, uh, which notes, restoring gardens is not a simple task. It takes resolute commitment to rebuild and maintain historic landscapes. This garden is a significant de designed landscape worthy of preservation, and I fully support your efforts to see this garden live on for generations. And I'm almost done. So I'm going to uh, 
close by reading the entirety of this amazing letter that we got from our own Milton Historic Commission, because it really encapsulates everything we've said so far. But I'm going to skip to a pretty garden picture. <laughs> uh, and this is from Stephen O'Donnell and from the commission. It is with pleasure that the Milton Historical Commission recommends and endorses the Stonework Preservation Project for the Spalding Garden proposed by the Milton Garden Club. The Spalding Garden is one of the last remaining private gardens extant in Milton. Its primary designer, Fletcher Steele, was, and you guys know what this, I'm going to skip that bit. Um, he just goes on to say, we sincerely hope that your committee will approve the Milton Garden Club's application for funds to preserve and stabilize this significant architectural feature of Spalding Garden. I encourage you all to read the entire letter because it's amazing. And anyone on Zoom who wants to see a copy, I'm happy to share. Um, and then um, this little girl is my gardening buddy, Anastasia. And I have to close with her because she is who we're doing this for. She says, hi, and this is to all of you. My name is Anastasia. I am 10 years old and I go to Cunningham Elementary School. My mom asked if I wanted to go to a floral arrangement event and it sounded interesting. So I said, yes. When I first walked into the Spalding Garden, I felt excited because it was a hidden garden and we were having a secret meeting with new friends. <laughs> Georgia showed us how to cut and place the flowers and plants into vases beautifully. And that was super interesting. I never knew you had to cut the plants at the very end to make it last longer. The Spalding Garden is beautiful and the Milton Garden Club takes care of it very well. So people get to enjoy it, enjoy all the plants and flowers it has. I would love to do this again. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> so uh, that's where we are. And I'm happy to take questions. Thank you, Jordan. And how many minutes did that take? Uh, about 14 or something. <laughs> You're good. Sorry. It was good. It was good. So, so I have a question. Uh, it's, it's sort of um, two questions. The, the first is uh, I'm going to ask you to go back to the fellow who does the, the stonework. Mike, yes. Yeah, and would you go back and read what he said? I'd love to. The uh, question I have, because the question I have is if we are restoring yes. a wall, it sounded a bit like he had broader plans than just restoring the wall. Yes, that's a great So is that, a, is so, that um, an yes. issue? No, and actually that goes back to the um, Interior Secretary's guidelines. Right. And so I'm going to, because the Interior Secretary's guidelines specifically say that if there's a better way to do it, you are encouraged to do it a better way. And so I don't know if you've ever stacked wood, but when you stack wood, you always stack it perpendicular to the space. And so this is a retaining wall. And one of the problems is the stones have been laid parallel to what they're retaining. And so what he's going to do is redo the wall and put stones that are perpendicular. And so it will still appear the same from the outside, but inside there will be these interior stones that are holding the, the soil back, which is the job of the wall. And what Mike said to me is that although this is a beautiful wall, it wasn't designed by someone who knows about walls. Mm -hmm. So Fletcher Steele put, unfortunately, an element into his design that can be approved upon. And so we're going to be improving on it. And the guidelines, 
I do address this in the multi-page um, document that is the Interior Secretary's guidelines with sort of a line-by-line -line addressing of each thing that they're asking for. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I was specifically going to ask about the uh, Secretary of the Interior's guidelines. Yes. Um, um, the second, and this may be not necessarily applicable at this point, um, I think it's important to help us understand that exactly what you're after, which is restoring that stone wall and presumably making this a, a more open uh, place to visit. And one of the questions I have about that is handicapped accessibility. Sure, yeah, that's on everybody's mind. Um, so I have some short-term solutions and some long-term solutions. My short-term solutions include uh, offering some of our programming on Milton Access so that not only can we have a wider access for the town, but especially for people who couldn't come in person to our event. Um, when we did our Garden Conservancy event last year, we offered that if someone had an issue, a mobility issue, to let us know in advance and we would find a way to accommodate. So we have been offering case-by-case -case accommodations. Um, but I would say that in our forward-thinking strategic planning, this is a, an important question. Mm -hmm. And we don't have long-term solutions yet. Uh, I think we're gonna mend the wall first. And in terms of order, it seems right to focus on the wall and on some of the structural things. Um, I hope you agree. I don't want to commit, but I just want to make sure that you understand that that is an, is an issue yes. that as we go through these questions, of course, we'll be thinking about that. Another so that as, it, it's, as you focus your presentation, I mean, this is wonderful, but what we need to know is, is it going to be a restoration that meets the guidelines of the Secretary of the Interior? Is it going to open this space to uh, participation by as many Milton residents as possible. Yeah, um, I think we can explore that question together, um, but as possible is the key term and we will open it up as well as we can with what we have right now. Sure. And, and we're thinking creatively on that question because we're, so here's what the, um, the Denver Botanical Garden noticed that they weren't reaching certain communities that they wanted to reach. And so they went to them. And so part of Spalding's goal going forward is also to bring Spalding to the people. I mean, it's a teeny garden. It doesn't have a bathroom. Maybe it never will. But part of the magic of Spalding is that we can take it on the road. And, you know, Christine Paxia has already done two uh, TV shows on Milton Access, both of which are in my submission. And um, so if you... It, there are theoretical ways to bring the garden to the people too. And that is partly how we're thinking about this. I saw two more raised, but sorry, go ahead. <laughs> are you picking up on, I'm kind of picking up on this theme. So, okay. so there's, you know, accessibility from an ADA and other standpoints. There's also just awareness, which is I think a little bit what you're talking about. So I've been in town 28 years up until last year, was totally unaware 
uh, in your presentation, you called it a secret garden. I, my guest did. Yeah, or your guest did, right. But it is, it, I, I can't say I've read every word, but I've perused the application. I don't think I've seen an address. We don't uh, have an address. Well, you have your honor. Street. We're on Fletcher Steelway. I understand that. But so it goes to accessibility, you know, awareness in town. Um, I mean, how would you respond to the criticism of this is just helping the property values of people on Fletcher Steelway? And, and, and create feedback. Huh? <laughs> well, well, no, I mean, yeah, so I hear CBA you. is public money, yeah. taxpayer money all across town, state taxpayer money even. Yeah. Um, and we need, I think all of our projects need to have strong public visibility and um, accessibility. Yeah. And obviously every project's different and every project's not gonna have the same level of accessibility and we understand that, but but how do you... Yeah. So, so you, specific question, I guess, is you mentioned a couple events or several events, um, some I think you've done in the past and some it sounds like planned for the future, but can you drive that, dive down into that a little bit and, sure. and how many of those have been held in the past? What's the attendance been like? Sure. You know, and then what's the uh, plans for the future? Sure. Yes. Um, and to your point about never being in, I've never been to the Melton Yacht Club either. Mm -hmm. So... You know, it's a fair question, mm -hmm. and um, I know where it is. I do know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the difference, in some ways, is that if you come to our garden, we're going to welcome you in. And not to say that they wouldn't, but I just haven't had that experience. Um, but uh, in terms of programming, our in the past, what we've done is partnered with other like organizations, um, including the Nature Conservancy. We did a tour last year and we had about 140 people in the hottest day in May. I don't know if you guys remember that day that was like 95 in May, it was that day. And I thought people wouldn't come, but they came. And we were busy consistently all day. And it was a wonderful experience because people really valued and appreciated the garden. And I think partnering with organizations like the Nature Conservancy makes sense because someone who doesn't like gardens probably isn't going to want to come to Spalding Garden. But if you do love gardens, this is going to be a great place for you because of the horticultural element. And I was thinking about our own parks in Milton. I don't know that we have a lot of botanicals going on in our parks. They are highly functional for sure. And I've played on most of those fields or my children have. Um, but our garden offers something that's very different and distinct from what our parks offer. And I don't know if there's another place like doing this level of horticulture in our town. And so I do think that has merit and not everyone cares about peonies. But the people who care about peonies really care. So I think we're offering something that is different and not equal, but important. Uh, do, you, do you have a like a public-facing website or what, what you know, like in terms of yeah, um, getting that word out there? Uh, our website is a priority for our club. We're doing our strategic plan, and our club is turning a hundred next year. So there's a lot. We're on the cusp of a lot of interesting things. 
And I think that signage and uh, a website and QR codes for the plants so that people know what they are. There's some exciting things being talked about. And uh, if we have this restoration money, I feel like it gives a lot of mojo to this project for us. And I, we take feedback. If you have feedback, we want it because <laughs> grow our vision. Um, two, two questions. One, one is a question. One's more of a comment. I, I really uh, appreciate um, you talking about engaging the public. I think up until tonight, I didn't hear as much uh, events and things that were, that were going to happen. I think if you can continue to expand on that and build on that, this is public money. I think that would be really valuable. Um, but as well, um, you know, I like the idea of building the wall, you know, I might not go and, and you know, do things with, the, with flowers, but I might go and be interested, my kids might be interested in going and building a wall, you know, building a wall or something. I like that idea. Um, I, I think that's a really cool idea um, and really a good way to engage the public on it. I think that's a, a really positive thing. Um, so I would say, you know, I would be for that, obviously, you know, with the expert who's there helping help, out. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good, uh, really good function for it. Um, and then my the question that I have for you is: This is one wall. What? And I, I've been there. I don't remember because it's been so. It's been a long, it's been a little while since I since I walked along. Do you have a like campaign? Do you, do you have like a more capital campaign to like restore the whole garden at some point or? Like this is probably the, the one that's most deteriorated. I know that there's probably a lot of some brickwork and and you know to restore the whole thing would be a, a, a big piece. Um, is that other wall? Is the other stone wall in decent shape? Yes. And that's the reason why the it is. And yet, I think part of this too is what we learn when we take down the wall. We're going to learn a lot about what happened behind the wall, and then we're going to know more about the integrity or lack thereof of the second wall. So I think this is also a way to inspect what we've got. But in terms of your larger question, um, I think that because this wall is the thing that is sort of, I mean, you guys saw that it's it's really in need of, of stabilization. The brick walls, they need attention more than they need stabilization at this time. Yeah, it's and not so like they're deteriorating. I think our next priority and our next priority for funding, which doesn't come from you guys, I don't think, is public engagement. And public engagement funding is, is not a bad idea for us going forward. And that way we have a two-pronged attack. We've got public engagement and we've got, you know, shoring up this wall, restoring this wall. Um, just a quick question about the estimate that you got from Mike. Yeah. Um, it sounds like he's the guy, mm -hmm. or he's the guy you want anyways, but I'm yes. curious whether you actually heard any other quotes just as a comparison. Not on this, in part because he made this quote in collaboration with other wallers. Mm -hmm. And um, there's only six wallers in Massachusetts that do this work with this certification. And he talked to two of them. So three out of six of them opined on this project and this price, which means 50% of the contractors who do this work offered their opinion. So uh, it, I feel like 
I feel confident in these numbers. I, I think it's a pretty fair price knowing and I don't know, Pete, but I think it's pretty fair. No, I think it's I, I think it's very fair for knowing the size of the wall. Yeah. He's a community team player. Yeah. And yeah. um Heidi knows fair. that. Yeah, no, I Lisa think Lisa Ahern knows that. So I think we're lucky to have him in all. Two questions. I get two questions. Um, I know we have it, but I don't think we said it tonight, but what was the funding amount? I think it's 16 16450 That's the whole project cost? Yes. Um, the other question is, so I know that there's some question on like where are finding it, but is it public? Like, is it open to the public? Like anybody can just go in and utilize it? Uh, no, it's part of the open space registry. Yeah. And then we open it to the public we haven't chosen a day. Um, we've discussed the possibility of doing that in which we say summer Sundays or you know, summer yeah. first Sunday of each month, you know, spring through fall. We've we've talked about the possibility of that. And uh, you know, that's a question that we really need to go over with Tim as well and sort of learn what an open space requires us to do. So there's no issue with funding that this isn't completely open space. Uh, I, I mean, we, we can we can we can fund this. Okay. Um, but, but it's one of the, our questions. It's uh, one of our. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's also, it, you know, we can put a condition on this that yep. you know the that if they're giving this to you know, there's different obligation for private entities like this right. and the public work that we have. And we can talk about this on the one second. Okay. But just like getting a one, we're going to have to go through procurement for almost all these other projects. We're going to have to go through procurement where we have to get through bids. Right. And we have to take those because it's public money. So it's different. You, the, two, the two cases in, in the Forbes house is another one that, you know, this is also another private organization that we would be funding. And so it's different rules for well that case so um but we can condition anything we go video grand mm -hmm. we can say xxx yeah whatever whatever we i just like to make one Hi. quick kind of um i think after your eligibility um things one of the comments we made was we asked you to come with a plan for you know public public opening and, and public use and you've talked a lot kind of generally about the things that you might do and what you're thinking about. And you almost hit it right at the end there, you know, um, when you're commenting to Rich. I think we'd like you to, you know, make a commitment and say something like, you know, we'll be open the first Sunday of each month from May through October from nine till 12 to the public. And that we will, you know, notice these things in the Milton Times so that people know it's open. I think. You know, making some commitment to opening to the public, I think, is an important thing. So, okay. uh, it looks like Christine. It looks like Christine's got her hand up. I don't know. Um, I don't know if this will help or not, but I head up a team of master gardeners on the first Tuesday of every month, along with the Wakefield Estate. We do a rotation on Mondays and Tuesdays in Milton. And we could easily invite anybody that wants to come in and help, and that could open it up in some ways. We always, or I always get requests for private tours, which I've sort of just done, um, just because uh, I like to show the garden and talk about the historical significance. 
and uh, what it means to our town to keep this going. And George, I think, did a wonderful job going through a lot of those things. And that stone wall is just one little part of it right now. And the, the longer we can preserve this today, it helps the generations tomorrow to appreciate it also. Um, he did hundreds of gardens for the private sector. And of those hundreds, and many of those are in Milton, only five pretty much are in existence today. And that's all across the country. So this is a significant garden. So whatever we can do to preserve it and protect it for our generation and the next generation, I think is key. I, I don't know if it's possible, but I mean, I'm intrigued by the whole like funding this wall and making it public. Like you have, we have Milton Access TV, like run a program on like the rebuilding of this wall mm -hmm. and what this means to Milton. I think that would be a really great opportunity. <laughs> I, I, I think it would be really would be a really good opportunity, and you know, especially using public money to like get out and get yeah. well, it's, it's a it's a marketing thing. Yeah, too. Exactly. It, would, it would serve as a marketing thing. But just you know, the speaker mentioned Wakefield State, and, and I'm not comparing to, but I guess I am a little bit. That our arboretum is open for self guided visits daily, nine a.m. to three p.m. Monday through Friday. So. Tell you what, if I get a seven million dollar endowment, yeah. I will be open every day. Well, I understand, but that is a. I mean, I don't think there's any, at least in my mind, no question about the historical significance of this. The the the, the need to restore this. It's just the public accessibility happens to be better. Yeah, and, and I and, agree. And, it's and, just a question of no, bandwidth. No. Yeah. Well, I also think you mentioned at a previous meeting that so, there was so some can, question. Oh, can I say? So I understand that. And I believe me, I've um, plenty of volunteer organizations in town. So the bandwidth issue, I have a lot of uh, sympathy for. Um, why can't why can't I just drive up there and park and go see it myself? Why why, why is that not yeah. technically? Because it's private, it would be the equivalent of walking onto my lawn, which technically you can do because it's there's no fence. Right. I can do that on a lot of trustees' right. uh, properties. Right. And properties. so, I mean, I can't maybe do it after dark, right? There's rules, yeah. right? But I can do it within the rules that they set out. But it's well, more, if you're a member of the trustee, no, a lot of trustees. And go hiking in Sharon all the time. Hutchinson Field is it? Yeah, Hutchinson. Yeah, I mean, open to non-members and members alike. Um, it's a fair question, and I am intrigued in finding you an answer you're going to like. I know we have it is eight o'clock, yeah. so yeah. this is about a half hour. So take this and be a I think you mentioned it at a previous meeting, and it has to do with insurance. It also could be an insurance thing. Um, no. No? No. There is a, a recreational use statute in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts that protects private property that is open to the public. Oh, can you send me that? <laughs> I would love to have that. Thank you. Okay. Cool. This, Thank you. The Milton Garden Club. So, a very quick question. So, one of the things that is on our list is: uh, is there additional funding 
that's been identified through uh, public or private funds? I'm really glad you asked that. The answer is yes. And um, so contingent on getting this funding, uh, we will receive $1,000 of funding to do programming in the garden. For programming in the garden, okay. But not for uh, carrying out the, the project. Right. All right, cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for putting up with that question. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I am Heidi Vaughn. I'm the director of the Forest House Museum. I also have Andy McDonald, who's a trustee and on our buying committee. And remotely, we have Doug Manley of the Spencer Preservation Group, who has been consulting with us on um, developing the project estimates, the scope of work. Um, Spencer Preservation Group also did the historic specters report and um, commissioned the uh, structural engineering report that have informed our plans going forward for these two buildings. And if it's possible, could I um, be able to share my screen? Yeah. I can go ahead. Okay. So this is a, um, a slide presentation that we developed with funding from the National Trust for Historic Preservation to help us in our education efforts with the public. Um, and also, you know, talking to donors, that sort of thing. It is going to be adapted um, and put onto our website. And for our purposes tonight, we can make it larger. I'm going to get behind this, this black bar at the top. It, it, it might be just under view. Do you want to go to the side? Okay, so there we are. Um, for the people that haven't seen it, that's the carriage house on the right and the barn extending out to the left. Um, two very different architectural styles. What this does is it has a, a strong um, historical uh, component that I don't necessarily want to go into tonight, but I did want to, um, you know, just so people who haven't seen it, they know what we're talking about. There is a correction on the cover letter for our application. Um, the amount we're requesting is actually $288,885. That is the correct number on our budget that was attached to this application. It was just um, incorrectly input on that page. So eight, eight, five. Eight, eight, five. Yeah. yeah, I apologize about that. Um, we learned from our initial presentation to this group and uh, you probably realized we reduced the scope of the work and we reduced our request. So we are focused on what we're calling phase one of this project, which is really to stabilize the building and to make it tight and dry. Um, the focus is on the foundation, the roof, the chimney, the gutters, the downspouts, the windows. Um, and as you know, we reduced our, um, our request amount. So at the end, I'll go over the budget briefly. In terms of, oh, I did want to show you some of the damage that we're hoping to address. So zooming forward. 
On the left there, you see a close-up of those um, brick piers that are supporting underneath the carriage house. And you can really see that, that white area that's traveling up the column and the, the moisture that is degrading the structure. On the left, you get a close-up look, you know, the mortar's missing. Some of the bricks have crumbled right out of the, um, the pier. And then the next um, slide on the left, that's a rotting wooden gutter. You can see the pencils going right in there. And on the right, those are our um, slate shakes and some are missing, some are cracked. Um, and that's just a, a small sample of uh, a broader problem across the roof of both buildings. In terms of how this ties into the goals of the CPA, we are a on the National Register of Historic Landmarks. Um, and in terms of public accessibility, we um, do use the barn more as a backdrop for events, um, just because of the condition it's in. But the museum as a whole, I hope people have recognized over the past several years that we've tried to do a lot more outreach and public programming and just to be overall a very um, welcoming organization with a lot of diverse programs to appeal to a lot of different interests. Um, part of yeah. what we do plan to do, I mentioned okay, putting so this onto the website. Okay. Um, and so I think as the project goes along, it'll be really exciting, particularly considering we have had a lot of community um, monetary support for people to be able to see where their money is going and how the project is progressing. Um, so we will be updating our website regularly with, with photographs and um, you know context to so people can get as excited as we are about what's happening and what's to come. Um, it will absolutely help us leverage other funders. When I get to the budget, you'll see that we have a number already in the queue that we're applying to or plan to apply to. And um, you know, even for individuals to be able to see that we have this chunk of money from the CPC that we can get this project off the ground. I think getting that first step is so important so people can actually, you know, the Forbes House going back has talked about working on this building for a long time. Um, and I think it's so important that we really show that we are serious and now we're moving forward. And so this will absolutely help us leverage additional funders. And in terms of long-term maintenance, how we keep it up, we do have a fundraising plan to raise money for the endowment. And um, this endowment would be dedicated to the upkeep of the buildings on the property, um, which is obviously really important with our carriage house dating to 1833 and the barn dating to 1887. Um, in terms of the timeline, this is work that uh, we could get started this summer and project to have finished by May of 2024. Um, letters of support, we've had a great, um, great success, I think, in engaging the public from lots of different sectors and getting their support. So I'll just go through the list of people that have supported this. Um, Meredith Hall, who's chair of the Milton Planning Board and also a champion herself of historic spaces here in town. Uh, Representative Bill Driscoll, Dan Kerrigan, um, owner of Steel and Rye, Andrea Galing Moore. So she's the director of community engagement at Milton Academy um, and Margaret Carroll's with the Milton Coalition. With both of these groups, we've um, we've worked on them for different programs, and we've engaged the youth through these organizations. Our neighbors have had a strong showing of support, as well as, and I didn't see this letter, but I was told it was headed your way um, from Steve O'Donnell of the Milton Historical Society. Um, Commission. Commission. I don't Sorry. think we got it yet. Like I, yeah. I know, um, like Georgia's brought 
that one tonight. We, okay. we didn't get it officially, Josh. I don't know if you did. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Uh, the committee has a support letter. Uh, okay. So we'll, we'll get, I'm sure we did. Okay, all right, great, thank you. And then I guess the last thing I wanted to do was just um, go over the budget. So let me get out of this and let me pull up budget. Okay, so the CPC um, monies we put in that first column on the left. Over to the right, you see some of the other funders that we are approaching, uh, the Preservation Projects Fund, Preservation Massachusetts, and individual donors. We do have about $65,000 already in hand from individual donors. Um, for the CPC, the money would go towards the access, staging, and disposal. Um, there's masonry work to be done, as I showed you with the piers. For the foundation repointing, that's about 30,600. The chimney has issues that need to be addressed above and below the roof line, 9,100. And the biggest chunk of money here is that roof framing and the structural pier stabilization and repair. Um, I'm sure Doug can speak to that if you have additional questions about that um, $100,000. And then if I go down, you see other um, other pieces of this jigsaw puzzle, that's the uh, restoration and preservation project, include the roof, um, the gutters, the downspouts, and that's what we're going to the preservation projects fund for um, preservation Massachusetts. We are asking them to match the money we've raised already with $10,000 towards the window repair. Total project costs, therefore, are 288,885 of the, um, our request to the TPC against the total project cost of $440,047. So it was reduced because you got other funding, not because you lowered the project or both? Oh, our ask? Yes. We contracted the scope of work. Okay. We're trying to get. Oh, okay. so you already had those other funders anyway? In the, in the hopper. Kind in the of. hopper, yeah. okay. Yeah. So can you, just on that, can you speak to your history with those funders and what's how you know i'm sure it's competitive funding rounds but how competitive and, and what's your degree of confidence in, in, i know that's i i was an executive director i am an executive director yes. of a nonprofit, so sure so, grant writing so i understand yeah you can't probably be definitive but but what's your i'd like to say 99 but <laughs> so preservation of massachusetts we have first submit a letter of intent so we made it past that round. Okay. Um, and the Preservation Projects Fund, we have received funding from them before, as well as the uh, Mass Historical Commission's uh, Cultural Council Facilities Fund. The um, museum had to have work done on its foundation, and also the mansion itself had some issues in terms of weather tightness. And so restoring the windows in the cupola, replacing the gutters and downspouts, that was all done with money from these funders in the past. So I think we have shown to them that we have a good track record of um, planning and getting these projects done successfully. Um, I also have a grant writer, um, Barb Silberman, who has had great success. Um, our current opium exhibit, she was able to get us funding from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the Institute for Museum and Library Services. These are large, federal, very competitive funders. So, um, Did, I, are they are they yearly that you're applying? Like, how often can we do they grant these awards? 
They do ask if you've been funded in the past, and I don't think they like you to go back to them. You know, exactly, exactly year for year for year. But they also, I think, like to see that yes, they have funded you in the past, and you know. Well, what I'm what I'm getting to is like, is this yearly, like in the spring? So, say we fund you, like you you do have this jigsaw puzzle. Part of our conditions will be, you know. Like you know, a time period for to get this project completed, so we don't hand you over three hundred thousand. You sit on it forever. So I'm just wondering, like, what, how often do you can can you go to get this funding or whatever? I think they all have annual annual okay. mm -hmm. application. And you have a March seventeenth deadline on several of them, or I guess that's the same source. But um, is is and do you know how quickly they turn those decisions around? When will you know? So preservation mass, they will tell us by April. Um, I think the preservation projects fund might be more in the fall. But it, it doesn't look like these extra funds. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do it in one project. Technically, couldn't you just do the CPC and as your like? Do you have to do it as one project? We do not. So that would. But they've already. You probably they've could, already but built them out. They, they probably would want to. No, understand. <laughs> my comment was the one yours would, about would the money sit there? What did you say? We prefer to do it. Yeah, I'm sure you prefer. That's well, that's not my comment. My comment is you said that would the money sit there for an extended period of time? My comment is doesn't need to because they could start the project. I guess maybe more blunt. If you never get that money, Rob's concern was: is our is this money going to sit out there waiting? And I think the answer would be no, because you'd use the money. Right? So that's one concern. That's one concern. The other concern. Yeah. Okay. Understood. Yep. But what I'm saying is, you don't. This this committee too could put in. We're going to grant the 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 Forbes House Holy with yeah. a, with a whatever we want two right. or whatever right that we, they'd we have to use the money. Agreement. Understood. We do a rent agreement and we would have as a condition that after three years three years yeah. it's great yeah. um, because we know that there's funding rounds that are always a problem for these kinds of things yeah. so the typical rent agreement says three years and it can be extended if it looks like they're doing something. Right. Um, but there would be a, if it sat there, nothing happened. They would get it done. Yeah. Okay. Eventually. Yeah. But this is larger. This is nested within a larger two and a half million dollar campaign. Right? That's correct. Yeah. I, I think though, so, what's important though, I think for you to come to the committee is they're doing the most. Like the the, the barn is in deteriorating fashion, so they're doing the most crucial part of the project to kind of stabilize the the. You know the structure and and things, and then they would go and and work on other things. So for any project, um, it always in in a funding round. It's especially true with affordable housing. Is that it always looks good to the other grantors like Fred Heisen, Massachusetts, and all the other organizations that the town has put in some support. put in some money, yeah. and and it always it always is a good plus for any kind of application to a funding round. So you've got a commitment from your local community. Yeah. 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 So has the Spencer Preservation Group already been contracted? They're they're on. They're on no, the they have been contracted yeah. for the work going forward, but they're consulting with us to yeah. this point. Uh -huh. Yeah. And the larger campaign, what's the sort of timing of that? What's your sort of sense? It would be a three to five year 
campaign. Mm -hmm. um, we do have a campaign consultant that we're just started working with. So we're in the very early stages um, and starting to review prospects. Um, but we do have the commitment of the board for this campaign. Mm -hmm. so can you speak to the, the vision for the public use of yeah. the, 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 the most public? You know, the, I know part, uh, second floor is office space primarily, but the, that first floor, I was intrigued in your application. You referenced, you know, the loss of some of the other assets in town, like the Who's a Club, and, you know. Um, yeah. You know, so it, it does seem like there's a need for more public space like that in town. And, and um, so can you speak to the vision for that? Sure. So just since the first of the year, we've, and Obviously, we're not promoting the site at all, but we had a request for um, a corporate retreat and for a first communion reception, right? And so all this would be great if we could guarantee indoor space and they didn't have to worry about um, tenting in the event of um, bad weather. And it also opens up programming year-round. So in addition to what the museum would like to do in terms of um, exhibit space or hands-on artist workshops or... You know, we've worked with melodrama in the past, some, something with the local theater group. It would be available to nonprofits so they could rent out the space for their needs and there would be a sliding fee scale that, you know, we'll be determining going forward. But, you know, if you want it for a corporate retreat or if you want it for a wedding or if you want it for a graduation party, that would all be available to the main carriage house would be very flexible space. You can set up tables, you can set up rows of seats. Um, you know, one end could be the stage, there could be a drop down screen, and then off to the side in the barn, I imagine there being space for maybe smaller cocktail receptions, um, smaller meeting spaces. So we would, we would absolutely want it to be, you know, another really viable space for anyone who wanted to use it. And mostly as revenue generated. That would be, yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Any questions for Doug since he's he's tuning in? Any other questions? Have you looked at what the cost of maintaining these buildings is in the future so that as you think about revenue generating, you can say that will cover the cost of maintenance of these buildings? Correct. We absolutely have to quantify the cost of renting the space as well as maintaining the space. So while we don't have those numbers yet, it is part of what we're considering, we've looked at a lot of other similar um, properties, for example, the Cogna Estate in Lincoln, the Crane Estate in Ipswich, um, what they charge for their functions, what their amenities are. Uh, so we're in the information gathering stage and we're also you know, working to crystallize our vision of what the interior space will be based on you know, input from the community and what the needs are here. And, and I, I'd like to just, I'd like to just jump in if I could too, Heidi. Um, I'm Doug Manley, uh, architect for Spencer Preservation Group. And Heidi in, in the Forbes house had hired us to do the assessment report where we um, uh, established the priorities, uh, short-term, long-term priorities. But one of the other parts of our assessment report was a cyclical maintenance plan where we uh, uh, projected out what it costs to project to maintain the building over the next 20 years. So we that was part of the document that we had done for them uh, as their assessment report. So they they are they do have that in mind as moving forward. 
Part of the reason I asked the question is because 20 years ago, I was on the board of the Forbes House Museum. Right. We went through exactly this. And one of the exercises that I did was called places like the Lyman Estate, the Bradley Estate, was pre-Eustace Estate. And uh, our conclusion was that basically the barn and carriage house facility would need to be used either uh, every Saturday and Sunday between April and November. Or there was another scenario where it was staggered throughout the year. Mm -hmm. But the issue then became <clears throat> that the museum became an event space. Right. And that, as I recall, didn't sit well with some of the people on the board. Mm -hmm. And the amount of money that was required at that point I think it was only something like uh, $2.5 million. So it never went beyond the stage that you're looking at right now. Right, right. I, I think having an endowment is really important to help meet those costs. Um, and I do want to be sensitive to the neighbors and what they can tolerate in mm -hmm. terms of traffic and events. Um, but, you know, looking at this, we think it is possible. To have it be a viable, usable, you know, rental income space. So we're still working on those exact numbers, though. Yeah, I think, uh, and and this is less uh, to do with this group, but um, the importance of preserving the buildings is is one thing, and then how they get used and funded in the in the future is a a bigger question. Right. Yeah. What, one thing that's also come up, and I, I didn't touch on it with you, Georgia, but it's also um, how the town's historic commission is involved in this process. This is like the first, yeah, the, the first round of funding. And I think it would be who of this committee to put in our agreements that the historic commission gets, you know, it kind of has some oversight. But once the money you give in, it's, you know, I, I um, I think it's important to look you at gotta that. tread very carefully mm -hmm. because all of a sudden it becomes a town project and that's an issue. Okay. And the historic commission would have if we don't have a historic district, and so the limitations yes. on the historic commission are, are unfortunately not as good as it would be if this was in a historic district, but it isn't. And so you don't want to be putting into um, just caution you to putting into conditions that then make it a town project yeah. and give the authority to a commission which they don't have. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a tricky one because it's no one no one has oversight. It's a private project. So. It's not unusual, yeah. I, and as Wendy knows from Plymouth, um, they have used their money on the Russell Library, on um, the uh, Fire Theater, um, on the historic um, museum in Plymouth. I think we have four historic preservation restrictions on the uh, museum, and we've provided you know funds for private property all over Plymouth. Um, so it is a, it's a very good use for CPC funding. Um, but it, you know, as I said, sometimes we would require a historic preservation restriction in return. That's a problem because it has to be approved by the state and that takes forever. Um, so, you know, there's ways to do this in the grant agreement, and I will just 
just to get that as a okay. mechanism. Having received state funding in the past, we do have a number of easements on the property. Oh, I think that was the case. Yeah. <laughs> we had a chair who thought it's dirt money it comes from dirt. And so I want an interest in dirt. dirt. And so I can be the 16th preservation restriction on that building. And I'm just fine. But everybody has their own. Every, as Tom knows, from his work on the, on the coalition, every you know, town has their own little you know, twinkle in the eye about what they can get in return for the cash. So, um, we're, going, we're going a little long. So well, is there any other questions? One other comment I did want to make. Um, what I recall was the the fact that the um, access to the carriage house and the barn spaces is so easy for someone in a wheelchair or with some other uh, disability movement that it really improves the use of the Forbes property where I think it's a little more difficult to get into the house. If I were in a wheelchair, I would have to find a way to get a ramp into the- We have a, we have a lift that you have access to the main floor, but there's not access to the upper uh, floors or, or the, the lower floor. floor. Right. But this, in terms of our designs and the way we think of the building, you're right making it handicapped accessible is much easier than the mansion was. I just wanted to quickly, um, quickly um, you mentioned your, and I appreciate your for your, your rental possibilities for the space, but uh, in the support letters, Courageous Conversations was mentioned, the coalition, these organizations with little or no money, at least my understanding mm -hmm. uh, and awareness of those organizations. So do you, um do you did those arrangements uh offer did you offer them free space or would you contemplate down the road i know this is three to five years uh, again yeah i'm going to be the public accessibility sure, sure. You know, person here and consistently in all these uh but that's to me that would be um as you build it out that would be important that town bodies that were largely volunteer-led, got, doesn't necessarily have to be free-free, but very, and you, you mentioned a sliding scale, but, but is that part of what you do? I mean, you didn't charge courageous conversations, I assume. We, they we have no not. Right, right. <laughs> so um, very often we partner on events and we're able to get some funding. Um, for example, we did a reading Frederick Douglass together yeah. event and yeah. we paid the speaker and we got money from the Massachusetts Cultural Council for that. Um, and partnering very often makes you a stronger candidate to receive funding for the programs. Um, and we would, you know, try to follow that model and, and continue it, right, mm -hmm. using the space. Um, and then if they wanted to do their own programming, maybe a nominal fee or maybe we're a sponsor and we get, you know, the the exposure that way, you know. Okay. I mean, fair enough. And that's down the road, but I yeah. just wanted to right. keep hitting that drum. <laughs> yeah. yep. All right. We set. Okay. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is uh middle guy up here. They were here. They were here. They were here. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah, you guys. <laughs> so I think um, uh, um, I think you just need to um, if you have a computer, if you can log in to the Zoom, then you can share that way. Okay. Or or I can also pull up. <laughs> Um, so if you just went to the town's website, you can you can just click on the Zoom link or go to the town's website, look under public meetings. Recorded for this. Okay, You're welcome to start presenting about those materials.
Yeah, you could you can sit wherever you want. Yeah. You can sit here if you want, or you can or you can yeah. Hello, uh, my name is Sarah Skillen, and I am a representative of the group of organizations that are applying for funding to upgrade the stadium lights at the Middle Gile Fields uh, and basketball courts to LEDs, so that encompasses the softball field, the Little League field, and these basketball courts. Okay. Uh, here is a little outline of that space. So it's behind the high school softball field is used by Milton Girls softball, as well as the high school softball team, as well as town recreation teams. The Little League field is the Milton National Little League field. And then the basketball courts are utilized by the police department. Um, as well as just everybody who wants to play basketball. So it we just the baseball fields there. Um, but the, it, that's not currently lit, right? Or is it? There are holes that point to the baseball fields, right? Sure. Or they don't. Not the large baseball field. The smaller, yes. Yeah. A lot of little. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I just didn't. It, it mentioned little league field and baseball field, and, and I just. Oh, that might that. be. Yeah, no. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Okay, all right, that's sorry. It's really only the softball, the basketball, and little league. Yeah, that's what I was. I was curious too. Yeah, that was my understanding of where. Yeah, I think that's the only place we play. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry for adding confusion. Um. So the lights that we're proposing, I'm going to hand it over very quickly to Mike Barry, who is representative of the company that makes this equipment. Um, and he can tell you more about all of it and how it works. Um, but essentially, it's a much more focused lighting that reduces the glare and spill in the ambient lighting around it and focuses lighting on the field. This shows an example of like this is kind of what we have currently, and this would be um, what it would look like with the new equipment in terms of um, glare from, you know, people who aren't on the field. That's not a good description. I'm not, I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let, so I'm gonna let Mike explain it. So we, the total project cost, the estimated cost is $328,000 plus. We are asking for 288822 the Milton Parks Department has committed 10,000. Milton Girls Softball has committed 10,000. Milton National Little League has committed 15,000. And we have a commitment of 5,000 from the Friends of Milton Parks and Recreation. Um, and then there's letters of support from the boards of all those organizations, as well as uh, now an online petition that has over 260 signatures about community members. The project timeline uh, is approximately um, 14, 15 weeks. 
from when the equipment is ordered. So when we receive the funding, um, it's a 10 to 12 week lead time on the equipment and then the installation should take about two weeks. So if we received funding this fall and we're able to move through all the other steps of the process quickly, project could be completed um, by this time next year or around this time next year. And then this is just uh, praise and accolades for Musco. So do you want me to pull up your, does anyone have any questions on these slides? Because um, Mike has some much more detailed slides with photometrics. <laughs> <laughs> you did you did ask for that. Uh, they, did, they did send it to me, I think today. So we so can, we, we have. Well, my question is different. I assume since this is a town facility that actually the town will be bidding the project yes. or through the park department. Yes. And so somebody will be preparing plans and specs to go out to bid. Yes. Right? And the park department will put it out. Okay. And in terms of the budget that you've already projected, mm -hmm. it seemed like there were some um, items that weren't included, um, sales tax, bonding and then there's a list of nine different responsibilities of a customer that many of which included some cost um, okay. variables. Mike can talk about that. The town would be tax exempt, so I don't believe so right, yeah, would be an issue. Um, and bonding and the other stuff I think is we don't, we, we, we wouldn't we wouldn't no. bond for this project. So that that I think that stuff was it, it, Basically non-existent in, in in their in their estimate, right. but but Pete's Pete's um, you know unfor unfortunately it's a, it's a town this is a town project yeah. it's public money yeah. they'll have to go out to public bid right. and and the procurement side of things I don't know what lighting <laughs> what lighting costs I know it's your 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 route of business um, so I think uh, that was a question that I had back out to to Josh and, and Tim we don't have. Town of Milton doesn't have we won't we don't have a procurement officer right now. Okay. So um, I think it's pretty much the town administrator who is okay. who would probably help us until that's like filled in yeah. with some of these projects that are public side of things. We know the typically the town doesn't do the procurement. I know. Um, and no, and I would, no, no, no. We don't. No, yeah, don't, we don't. We don't. Yeah, the town, someone from the town will. I think. Yeah. It's, I think. Or oh, the be, park department. Yeah. Or the park department. Yeah. Whoever, whoever's kind of responsible. So, um, I have a, a more basic question before we get to the technical stuff, and it may be just because I missed something. But um, did this project come up? What I'm looking at is one of our um, uh, criteria, which is does the project address an urgent need or time sensitive opportunity? Is there a specific driver for the reason to do this? So the reason that we started this project was because the Milton Girls Softball Organization is basically desperate to save money. They're spending uh, a few thousand dollars each month. Each Milton Girls Softball pays for the lights that are pointed at their field. Milton National Little League pays for the lights pointed at their field. And Parks and Rec pays for the lights pointed at the basketball court. And each of those organizations pays a few thousand dollars a month um for when those lights are in use which they are in use very little so there's very little usage and it's very expensive because they're so out of date mm. um and the way that they have to be turned on and off 
Um, there are also significant complications with the maintenance of the existing lights, for especially in the baseball field. There are some interruptions to some of the seasons, and they're having problems. Um, it's expensive to maintain <coughs> the current lighting structure, especially on the the, uh, the new baseball field. So that was also you know, creating some emergency for them that we need to not have a major disruption to the season because yeah. they have whole yeah. slate games at night. It's a you know big issue if they lose lighting. And presumably, we'll hear that the technology has come to the point where well, it's time. Okay. It's just well, I, I think if you go back to your, uh, go back to that okay. slide with the. Uh, I mean, I think some, some of the lights. some of this is, you know, if neighbors came and said, you know, what is this light going to do to us? The improvement in it is the light really goes under the field, not light spread out, right? And so I think the optics of it are really good for the neighborhood. The lights kind of put where it needs to be, and that's probably that's that top top image. So, um, and then it's you know the sustainability of the issue of it is, is really good energy savings i think is, yeah. is, is a really good piece to it but i also think the maintenance uh piece of this too it's, it's expensive you gotta get a you gotta get a crane right to you know or whatever a lift to go up there and and, and it's and, environmentally yeah. responsible yeah. too because of energy conservation yeah you know dark skies and all that stuff yeah so do you want to yeah your your current generation is like sarah said more to the left even at the high school football field, it's a few generations in on that slide, but you'll see all the way to the right where you don't really see the fixture at all. Um, that is the LED technology. Um, what we're doing is really concentrating the light down on the playing surface so you don't have that ambient still light that everybody's used to when it comes to sports lighting. You don't have that glare from a long distance away. Glare doesn't dissipate with distance, so you could be two miles away. If you have direct line of sight to those poles, you'll see it. Where now with the LED product, the way that we've designed it, you don't have that glare from a long distance away. Granted, if you're standing on the field looking up into the lights, you're going to have that still intensity, but it's protecting that environmental area around the field so that it's just contained to the footprint of the field. And part of the photometric kind of show that that footprint of, of light yeah. spill. Um, but that's what some of those slides are talking about in terms of the directional of light. The old metal halide fixtures like you have up there now, they were just fun aluminum housing. So you have light that comes out of all sides of that circular or that oval lamp. So it goes up, out, and down. Some of that light can get on the plane surface. Whereas now, over the evolution of, of lighting technology, you're putting visors on those. So everything is directed down and we're containing it towards the athletic field, lighting that area of purpose, not the whole area. What that means is now people have to look at exterior lighting so safely they can leave the field versus, you know, before it lit up the whole neighborhood so you could see where your car is. So um, what we proposed here is reusing uh, the existing poles and retrofitting the top of the poles, reusing the existing feeds going to those poles, replacing the front end, which is the control side of things, and then changing the obviously the type of fixture that's on those poles. We also looked at reconfiguring the softball poles because where they are right now is not correct for softball play. You want to have light on all sides of the ball for the for the players so that they can safely see that ball from all sides. If they're catching a ball in outfield and, and all the lights are in front of them, the back side of that ball is going to be dark. So what we've done is, is move the poles more towards the 
foul poles. So that everything's aimed into the field of play, which helps us contain that, that footprint of light. Um, and then we were retrofitting the. You want this, but you can, you can just scroll that you buy. Do you, um, I guess my, my question is, is like you provided this estimate. It's, it's some type of spec. Yeah. I think it would be really important for you as an applicant to make sure you get the specs that you need into yeah. the parks department so that they can, this has got to go out the procurement. Yeah. So just to make sure it's anything's apple to apple sure. and whatever else so that, you know, we understand that. I, not my space, maybe, yeah. rich, maybe it's a little bit rich, does a little <laughs> bit more of un, unlighting than I do, but um, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's different, I'm sure there's different, your competitors or whatever that use different things. Yeah, we, we tend to target a performance-based bid spec. So you're, you're calling out certain parameters and criteria within the project itself, the light levels on the field, light levels off the field, AW consumption, warranty, controls, some of the things that aren't proprietary, but it allows it to be bid through the public procurement process. So what there's, is the photometric design. Um, you'll see that the yeah, if you go <laughs> towards the towards the top there. So this one right there's good. So this is you can see the outfield poles, the B poles are not where they are currently. We're moving them out towards more of a traditional location. You can kind of see on the Google Earth there that where they are is a little bit beyond the third base and first base line. That's where the new location. If you move that to the left, you'll see kind of where they are currently. So what that means is there's no light behind the ball for the players out there. So you are moving poles. That's our proposal. You have to move just two poles, reuse the poles, but just put new foundations. Is it only in this location or is it in other locations too? Just these two poles for this field. Baseball, they're in, they're in the right locations. It's right. really just two poles. So they're right now they're by the dugout. Is that what you're? They're like two thirds of the way down. You can kind of see one that has a third. Yeah, one. yeah exactly. Oh, so touch screen. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah, and then the other one is similar. It's it's near the outfield yeah. or near that foul pole of the of the little league field. So yeah. the location doesn't make a lot of sense. I yeah, don't know it's a lot what of, the thought process was it's a lot better. Yeah, when it was built and what was there. Well, what so is that is that two week lead time of construction realistic with like moving poles and things? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, stripping the poles, replacing the pole tops, and then it's it's a pretty quick process. Um, and that's why we expected the two weeks. If they ran into really ugly soils, something astronomical, it might move to three weeks, but two foundations is easy in a couple of days. So this proposal just shows the light levels meet ASA softball standards. And if you scroll and see the Little League field, again, meets the same requirements for light levels. Again, we're reusing the poles there, just showing what the light levels are. Keep going. The basketball, yeah, it's recreational use. They have two fixtures per pole right now. We're going back up with one fixture per pole. And so in terms of recreational light levels, that's that's what you have for recreational basketball. Maybe one night you can explain to me what these numbers mean. Oh, tonight, it's a foot candle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. 
What's what's the red? What's the red? Green the red laws. Red laws. Greens are highest. So it's just okay. your, your uniformity is where we're looking at. You're kind of we're reusing 25 foot poles, so we're kind of handcuffed in terms of how much you can distribute the light. Uh, but that's what that's showing. Keep This is your book handle. Um, it's in, this is called our zero grid. You can see the red and black, right? You can't see the actual values unless you zoomed in a thousand percent. But that shows the footprint of the actual light um, for all the fields as they're lit. You can see that it's pretty much contained to the footprint of the athletic area. Great. I, that's probably the most important. Yeah. <laughs> For the neighbors, yeah, yeah, neighbors are these guys. Yep. So that's your full candle readings. So it, does, it does spill over to the parking area at first to some degree, right? A little bit. A little bit on the like to the upper parking area. Yeah. Yeah. So these these readings are figuring everything's on a level plane. We can't calculate the elevated parking area too, which means it'll be actually higher up. So it'll probably be lower than what you're seeing there. Um, yeah. But so it probably would be nothing because yeah. that's way up there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Like, would be. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. But from a control standpoint on the front end, this would have our controlling system, which allowed the users to program when the lights turn on, when they turn off. Unlike with metal halide, they, they take 15, 20 minutes to warm up. So they have to turn them on ahead of time. There's a warm up period and the lights are at full power. LED, it's instant on, instant off. With this control system, the users can say, all right, we know we have practice there at 6.30, lights can turn on at 6.30 or you can do it five minutes so people can walk into the field. But, and you know, if you have a curfew or you have practices done at eight o'clock, because that's when we fill where they're gonna be done, the lights can power off. This also has dimming functions too, where you could say the lights dim down to a low level 25% so that they can at least see, you know, egress the field safely and then they power off. Um, but that so, is part of our control. So all, all the boards in town now pay X amount of money. If this project goes through, is that going to be renegotiated or whatever and realize the savings get passed on to the boards? Well, if each board just that is continues paying for the fixtures that they use and when they use them, then they'll realize their own cost it should be. They've got metered separately. They've got metered. They're all so they can separate. calculate how much light is being used by the softball, okay. and that's what they pay for. Okay. So that's their savings. Yeah. 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 So I, I didn't realize that they were all metered. So there's a lot. You talk. There's a lot of non-energy benefits there, like the society and players and all the things. So those those are big. But did you calculate? I'm thinking you did calculate the savings for just general electric use. The in terms of the Cost? Same yeah. question is kind of that. Like, so what is it? It's about 60%. Yeah. So, so, what does the football field have now? As our prior generation, I think it's our prior to 2006. Right. So, it's a couple generations ago. Same control systems. And I think they. So why are no, it's totally separate. I'd have to look. The I think that is kind of an option. I think because all these boards in town are separate. Yeah, the football field is managed by the school committee and not um, this is managed by the parks. <laughs> so yeah. they, they didn't 
are interested, I guess, in participating. Or... I think they have their own long term plan of, of which this is a part, but they're not currently. But there are the same Moscow. Yeah. Yeah. But they're just not, you know, they don't work together. Yeah. That's all right. I was just <laughs> It's. I didn't look to see what they have for controls on high school and how they turn them on, turn them off. Um, the controlling system has been around probably 2004, uh, where it was wireless on off controls. Yep. And then in 06, it became standard offering with all of our projects. And now it even has additional features where you can dim it. It allows us to troubleshoot outages and, and do a lot of it remotely to understand what's working correctly and what's not. For it's worth, I'm familiar with yours because I used to work digitally approving something. Okay. So well, one question I have about the funding. So you've gotten the 40 grand from the four other departments. How how are those amounts determined? Um each organization uh kind of um did their best to offer yeah. roughly 10 percent. Is that the right number? Well, it's, it's 12. They did their own fundraising, all of the organizations. From their, yes, yeah, they it's all from their organization. Well, I think it's great that they come up with money to yeah, support this, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Support it all. I think that's great. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. It's parents tripping in. Yeah. We're still 20 minutes behind, I think. I know. <laughs> Anyone else? Uh, good question. Appreciate you guys coming out. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Kick them all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Oh, all of these, every, every other than the two that we had previously, yeah. everything else would be town money, so it'll have to go out to the public bid. So we have, we have to know that the answer to that before we can sign. The answer. What, what do we need to know why they went there for it? What basically that's what I'm trying to say. If they, well, that might be a completely different number. If there's a different. Well, that's all you're doing is contributing. We're going to give them money. Yeah. It's not, you're not deciding factor right. on how much it costs. Right. Yeah. All you're doing is supporting the project by providing right. some CBA right. funding. So there's a different bucket that right. the town can go to to pay for. Right. So, so if their bids come so in higher, if the bids come in higher, then they'll come off the money. Yeah, that's their issue. Right. Or if it comes in lower, then whatever. It is what it is. But I think. For some of these, well, they're going to have to go out be competitively bid. But mm -hmm. the way around it is, is like you make sure you put the specs and like whoever is in procurement does. Well, plus, this is a, a probably a great system, fully controlled. I'm sure it is. It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it depends on where you want to go. Right. I'm sorry. Just the timing of it in terms of those other bids. When does that come in after we make a recommendation? Or they can or they can go out like once we go recommendation recommend it right they can. Well, the, the issue is what we ran into mm -hmm. at the fire station is it's a planning. Right. So they can't go out and they can't sort of set aside a bucket of money 
and then have us come in and say we have a town meeting article that will will it's going to be more or whatever we have to yeah we have to okay good they can act after town meeting yeah and you know they can act they can do it for less than what we would be providing which they won't but they can't do it they'll wait until they get the town meeting yeah, and all you're doing, oh, you're just providing another bucket of cash, right? Yeah, and that's yeah. and it's based on their estimate. No grant agreement, yeah. no, no, you know, we're not doing any of that. We just right. said, okay, fine. So they go out to write a check, they can take it out of this account and that account, and yeah, yeah, okay. All right, get the ball. Hi, hello, I'm Mary and Pat, and um, I we uh. Milton Pickleball Players, which is a group of about 30 people, um, presented the application originally um, asking for uh, what do we have for 300,000? 500,000. Um, initially for um, eight courts, eight pickleball courts, dedicated courts that weren't painted on lines on tennis courts, but we've installed nets. Um, then um, Rob asked me to reapply for a feasibility study. So um, that's the current application is for $20,000 for the feasibility study. And for that, um, we've gotten um, an estimate from Bill Madden, who's a Milton resident, but uh, is it with the firm Lombardi Design? And uh, they, they design, among many other things, um, tennis courts and pickleball courts. And, um, they're involved in some other projects building pickleball courts in Massachusetts now. Um, so um, this was uh, Rob's suggestion was to reach out to. Uh, he gave me three names, and so I spoke to Bill. He's done other work in Milton before. He's done the American uh, baseball field up at Cunningham Park, and he's a member of the community, cares deeply about it, and does some pro bono work in the community. Um, so we met with him, and we got, um, I think I sent you his uh, proposal. And, um, so you have what he outlined. Um, so um, we don't really, we we don't really know what, you know, the feasibility study is going to come up with. He may say it's more practical to do two cores here and three over here instead of eight all over there. Um, he, part of his proposal will include locating sites put the courts. Part of it will be not a sound study, but considering the sound implications, which is one of the major uh, things that people tell us about people about. There are, you know, we got 440 signatures and letters of support from community members. We started out about a year and a half ago with 10 people playing, and we're up to about 40 now. And Continuously, people, we play at the Council on Aging right now. It's the only indoor court we have. It's one court, and only 16 people can play. It's only two hours uh, a week.
we have that's indoors, that's winter conditions. And then many of us go to other towns to play, such as their academies, um, open courts that they have a facility and furniture. Some people go to other surrounding towns to play. Um, but there are uh, always more and more people walking to Council on Aging asking if they have lessons or if they can join or where we're playing and how they can join us. Um, so it's an ever-growing um, sport that people are interested in, and it's just going to grow more. Um, many towns have access CPA funding, uh, and that's on the, I don't know if you looked at that, but the CPA, the NAS website of all these towns who have uh, built a number of different types of courts, um, ranging from two to eight. Um, there's also um, shareable services, you know, where a basketball court or a tennis court could be marked up. And in that event, we'd have to set up our own netting, which is that's what we do now. It becomes on aging. And we do that at Kelly Field when we're outside. The tennis courts, there's uh, three tennis courts that are marked. And so we have a total there now five courts that we can play on. Um, we just we have a locker there and we put up and take down the nets every time. Um, the co-occupant is uh, parks and recreation for the town because we're not a 501 Um So they have given us their support. Um, Any questions? Uh, just a quick question. You said um, currently there's five courts. Is that Milton or surrounding towns? It's in Kelly Field. Oh, oh, Kelly Field. And there's two over there in the south side. There is oh, two where they tennis courts. In Ten well, no, that are painted for pictures. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Right. The Kelly ones are tennis. Oh, yeah. So you, have, so you have seven right now in, in town? Excuse there's me. seven in town right now. There's yeah. two at Andrews and five at Kelly. There aren't any at Andrews right now. Yeah, there are two are painted at Andrews. Where? In the tennis courts. I wasn't aware of that. Oh. So I, I think, too, sorry. No, uh, uh, we talked a little bit about, too, like Cunningham. So did that, did that go on the back burner now because Cunningham was talking about potentially replacing courts there with pickleball courts. And I know you were in, in discussion. Cunningham wants to move forward uh, with building pickleball courts. Yeah. They'd like to put in, uh, well, I won't talk specifics about what they're planning to do, but um, they decided not to be a co-applicant with CPA money because they didn't want any strings attached to what they're doing. <laughs> And if they needed to change the purpose of the course, it's some okay. That's the that's you know, and um, they are very interested in it. And also, we're in the process of discovering, discussing, and trialing um, indoor courts at the hall. I mean, one court at, at the in the hall. Um, yeah, I, I will say, and I, I mean, I'm sure that the committee's gotten about ten opposition letters, and and I think. Um, it's it's probably because you know there was eight courts being proposed at Andrews Park or you know whatever. Um, 
at least it made me go and look a little bit more about pickleball and the noise and, and, and whatever else. Um, so I think it, it will be, it's good to have the study and have an expert kind of figure out where things are going to be. It's going to, I think it will be really important to, to figure out how far away they are from neighbors, all those types of things. Also, I think there's been um, some concern from other, you know, boards and groups in town that, that have kind of expressed, oh, geez, if we're losing open space, but, you know, open space is so, you know, a, a prime thing in, in Milton. So all those things need to be um, considered in, 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 your, in the study, but that's the reason to do the study and to really keep it vast and look at all open space. And I think it would be smart to, you know, work with the open space committee and, and, and things like that. So can I just ask a question on building off of that? So if, if the Cunningham Foundation went, moved forward with uh, building pickleball courts in Cunningham Park, would, would you, I mean, obviously it's a big unknown. We don't know if we'll do it, how many courts we'll build and that type of stuff. Would you think that that would um, eliminate the need for um, the study even, or or building other courts in town, or or do you think you know it's likely that you would want more court? There'd be demand for more courts than what Cunningham is able to. So well, just based on how fast the sport is growing, mm -hmm. I would envision the need for more courts. Mm -hmm. um, I think, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think that would augment. Uh, what what we would be asking for. And like you said, we don't know when the time of frame for the study would be by June that that would be completed. Uh, and then would have to apply again based on what they were. Well, you wouldn't, so we wouldn't, June wouldn't, it would be after June because we wouldn't have fun to do it. Yeah, it would be after yeah. What I'm saying is it's gonna be a couple of years anyway. You know, because uh, we apply for next oh, year. To, to actually build courts. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're not going to see courts for a few years right. anywhere. Right. Um, and I I just can't predict uh, Cunningham's timeline. That's right. I, I just know that they're very interested and motivated to do it. I think they're making a hand, is what I understand. Yeah. I, I see two hands up. Um, who was online. So Kevin, it, I see you got your hand up if you want. You, you got the floor. Yep, so I'm Kevin Chrism, the park director, um, town of Milton here. So we do have one court painted for pickleball at Andrews, and I believe there's six at Kelly. Uh, we are doing our best for these this group. They're very active um, group, and we're doing our best for them. We've provided some nets and some storage for them as well. I, I just don't know personally if Andrews is the best spot for this location. Uh, very tight down there, the parking's tight. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's better spots in Milton for um, pickleball courts to go in. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. Sue uh, Yes, thank you. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, I just want to speak because um, one of the, uh, I live by Andrews Park. 
and uh, I actually send for it when someone come to my door. And uh, but uh, I uh, simply put it, I don't really know. I didn't know what I was sign up for. So after I learned about pickleball and then its impact, I'm 100% against it. To the I, I don't think it because like do a simple uh, Google Google search and you should like. You can see that there are a lot of like pending lawsuits about the noise, and when the pickleball is by the residential area, like Andrews Park particularly, there are a lot of laborers backyard directly at where they are they want to set up the pickleball. So I don't think it's a good idea to set up pickleball courts in any like a residential area. I know right now it's still like try to approve the feasibility study. But I just want to say that I signed up like the I'm one of the single chairs, but I really don't know what I signed up for. I'm I'm totally against it if it's nearby, like in the residential area. I think it's a very bad idea to put in the residential area, and especially there are already so many examples from other states around the country already, and it would be a waste of like like taxpayers' money, and then you know, and then it, it's not going to do anything good if it's nearby residential area. Uh, I, I just want, and also for Andrews Park, particularly, it's already fully used, especially in sports season. My son play baseball and soccer, and I know we live by it. It's fully already fully utilized. And for that small spare spare area they want to use, that one actually kids like uh, like my son, we ha we we do like a, a ad hoc practice there, and there are other group like the uh foot the Irish football they play over there. It's it's not really like a spare a spare area. It's not like Andrews Park is really fully utilized. And the parking is already an issue in the sports season. I, I don't see why, you know, what why 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 I have to put it there anyway. Uh that's that that's all I just want to raise that point um uh, uh at this point. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate you. it. Sunny. Thank you. Um, whoever's got their, I didn't know. Yeah, I mean, I think we should. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I did say, I did say earlier on that we will. Yeah, I said it, it comments from us or or the public. Okay, right. okay. Um, someone who's got the the name iPad. <laughs> <laughs> who's got their hand raised? Who's got their hand raised with the iPad? Hello? Yes. 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 Uh, this is Jim Pelton. I live on Howe Street, abutting Andrews Park. And interestingly, I might be the only person in town that's had firsthand experience with a pickleball complex. I moved from a community in Arizona where at the urging of some residents, the developer built a pickleball complex. And after about a month of people listening to pickleballs, 12 hours a day, the developer ended up plowing that pickleball into the desert sand. He later relocated the pickleball court into a, a utility area in the community which worked out beautifully because it did not impact residents. Um, so the location of pickleball, it's crucial for the success of um, 
the players and the surrounding community. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, quick question. Um, on the feasibility study, and I just, I don't, I don't know this, um, is it specific to go check these couple areas or is it town-wide? It's town-wide okay. town right now. Um, That's right. But I think to this point, right, like there's, we've had few letters and, you know, I believe, I, I don't know, I don't live in East Milton anymore. So, you know, the fact is, you know, your group was going out proposing that we we're going to put eight courts in Andrews Park or whatever. And I yeah. think the the difference on that is the application that we received and what, what we asked of your group was to study this townwide. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason why I had suggested that to you was for this exact reason, get experts involved, understand why, you know, what it is. You know, personally, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, mental health is an issue. This is a game for people to go out and play and, and do it. So I, you know, I strongly support it in the right area. And so I think it's really important to figure out where it is in the right area. And so to do that, you know, it, it needs a study before, you know, anybody would go and fund uh, where the courts are. So that's the reason why I believe the study is really important and have experts do it. Um, you know, I, I read about the sound issues and stuff. That that is a real concern. If if you're, a, you know, a resident that's close by, so they need to be put in a in a, a good place. There, it, you know, there's many things that you can put walls up for sound and 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 things too to help. Um, but I think that should just be part of the study and figure you know figure it out. Have your experts come and and show where where it is in town. I think it is a, a real concern with all the other sports in town, as some people mentioned you know, everybody's jockeying for fields and whatever else. So it, it really will be important to figure out where, where these things can go or how many or, or whatever, so. I've got a couple questions or, or comments. I think it's, first of all, the um, proposal from Lombardi said that they would look at three to four potential sites. So I think it's important what sites are identified. Again, I guess the park department will be hiring this consultant. My, uh, so my guess is it, it could be so, and this is this lies on procurement. So with design services, um, and Josh, you could speak to this, but I, I think it's it's not as it's not as like you know you don't need to go out and get three bids and, and etc. This group can go out and hire who they want well, because I it's under a certain amount. Yes, the park will be the, the, yeah, the, not the, the park, park would be not the but, private group. So right. it will be a public yeah yeah. Yeah, but it's probably below the. Um, it's below the threshold, so it doesn't. Yes, yeah, for this amount of money, they'd have to get three bids yeah. instead of they don't. Have they to don't have bid. No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't buy it. Yes, design services are protected category. My second comment on the scope of work is there's nothing in there about a public process or public review or something, and I. I don't think it'll fly for somebody just independently to look at anything and there's no public outreach to the community, to the neighborhood or something. If they, you know, start zeroing in on a site or all the sites, they might want to get a feel for public acceptance because, you know, a proposal could be there and you could get the same thing right. that happened at Andrews and the neighbors just are up in arms. So I think it's important that part of the feasibility study is to do some public outreach. Yes, I hundred percent. I I agree with I I support this feasibility study. I agree with your comment about public outreach. I, I 
I do want to say, though, as I, I think I can fairly say this is the um, member who lives closest to the six active pickleball courts and who has a home office right by a window that <laughs> is, ever looking at it. is the closest window in my house to the pickleball courts. Um, it ain't that bad. <laughs> um, it was an uh, adjustment a couple of years ago when they they uh, first started playing and like, what is this? What is that song? Um, but um, I read some, I read all the letters and um, if we only had an ordinance for those leaf blowers. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's a little bit. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, trying to, to minimize. Um, to say there's no issues, uh, and that, that's why I support the study. But um, the fear of the pickleball courts um, being a neighbor, I think, um, um, can be more um, than the reality. Um, and I say that as a neighbor. So, um, and I think you know, you said this, Rob, too. I think you know, it's. I think it's great that it's taken off the way it has, um, you know, um, it, you know, there's different demographics, uh, age demographics, you know, taking on pickleball. Um, um, so I, I just think, um, yeah. Well, there are other factors besides sound. The, I think the issue of parking, for example, or the other use. Yeah, well, I, I deal with that as well. Mm -hmm. um, so or I live on Orono Street, and there's a parking lot for Kelly Field. And many of the pickleball players park in the parking lot of Kelly Field, but some of them park on Orono Street. So, you know, we already have this. Yeah, this, this, this not in my backyard mentality. Whether it's for affordable housing or pickleball, <laughs> I think we have to be um, show some more grace to our neighbors um, and uh, and uh, hear them out and uh, and uh, learn more. Um, before we yeah. um, before we just uh, say no. So that's all. I, I I've lived with this for the uh, last three years, and um, I think it's great. So, so yeah, two things I want. One yeah. is I don't want to dive too much in that, but I just say I mean every area is very different, and every every area of town is very different. Every neighborhood is very different. What they see in different fields and what they're experiencing. Everybody has different tolerances for yeah. you know, things. So just, I don't also want to discount the folks that are calling in or, or giving their opinions um, because it is too easy sometimes to say, hey, it's not my backyard. But, you know, there are a lot of folks that I think that are, are giving some thoughts that are very big on, hey, I do want certain things. So yeah. I just want to be honest with that. The only thing I would say about the feasibility study, I, I like feasibility studies, and I just don't know the answer to this. Um, and... <clears throat> this would be like Kevin, but you know, my only issue is we'd be feasible. We're looking at one sport, and where is it best in the town? Absent, I just don't know. Does Milton have an overall long-term plan for all of its parks? Well, let me finish. For all of its sports, what do we need in this town? Is is baseball right to have in all these areas, or is soccer right where it is? Should we, you know, move things around? Like absent my understanding of a long-term plan, personally, I would have rather seen somebody come forward and say, hey, 
And I get some money so we can do a physical study on all of our parks with pickleball in mind, with baseball, with soccer, with tennis, with whatever sport that we're looking to do, like, you know, street hockey with skateboard, whatever it is that the town is looking to do, I really do think, and this is maybe me being on the planning board, we really should think long-term planning of where should we be putting things. So the town is in the process of updating its open space and recreation plan. Right. So if that's the case, I feel like, you know, to do a feasibility study outside of that plan sounds a little, you know, putting the cart before the horse. That's just my opinion. Um, but I think, I don't know, I, I would have loved, I'd like to hear at some point from like the, the, the parks department director to say, hey, this, you know, no, this isn't absent that. It doesn't conflict or. Well, that's what he's Kevin, on. that's what Kevin, he's on. He's on. <laughs> he's on. on. Well, that's why I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, I don't know if you can speak to it. Yeah, it, yeah, go ahead. It does. It does not work at Andrews. It's there's limited green space there, and if you, I agree with a long-term plan on all these fields, but you know what that means to remove to change things around. Money, where are you getting it? it yeah, I, I don't think that's what I'm saying. I definitely wasn't talking specifically about Andrews. I think we were talking about Andrews before that. I think, I guess. I mean, I don't remember who I talked to. This was years ago, but I had some questions about some of our baseball fields. And one of the statements was, well, I think we're thinking about a long-term plan of what should we be doing? What should our upgrades be? Where should we be putting things? I think that's what I'm talking about. I mean, I, I do believe there are organizations that come in and look at towns and say, hey, you're utilizing your, your space right or you're not, or here's what you can do. I'm just worried that we're looking at a study for one sport. I get it. It's growing, but it's 40 people. And you know where are we going to put it? And I get it. Andrews might not be the right space for it, but I just don't know how you're going to find space without knowing the impacts to your other projects in town. Well, I think that's why the planning board's doing the open space um, plan for the town, uh, which hasn't been done, I believe, since 2004. Right. right. Which I think will help uh, a lot in this town. It's, it's it's just so tough to to move stuff. It's just you know. Yeah, and I think to complicate matters is you know that's why I, I like the LED lighting because there's all these groups came together and yeah. I, every you know the the one thing is Milton Parks and Rec is is like the umbrella, but then there's soccer or Gaelic football or or whatever all these yeah. other silos. You know, in town, and they all have interests, right? But then no one talks to each other. So I, I love your thinking, like big thinking on it. Um, but you know, to the point though, <laughs> you can't move things once you put an eight core system somewhere. You're never going to move them. So that's stuck. And so that's why I'm, I'm saying you, you can't look at things in a vacuum. I'm not fighting. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm just saying. But I think yeah. I think to that point, it's like that's why I don't even. Um, you know, it's looking at what what's two chords or four yeah. chords, whatever, like getting the pen to the paper and, and figuring it out. And, and I, I think everyone's right here that Andrews Park isn't the isn't the right spot for it, knowing in the neighborhood where it is yeah. and, and and how it's used, but maybe another spot in town is, you know, and the whole on every space. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember if it was was there other suggestions of of places to look. I, I think what's going to be important if we do decide to fund this 
is to Pete's comment is like, let's look and get input from master plan implementation okay. committee to look at one of the people said was, you know, multi-use surfaces. Yeah. You know, combine the tennis and looking about the basketball courts that are being redone at um, Amherst. I mean, I mean, again, you've got those are close to the house and the court, the tennis court is very close to houses there. Um, but, you know, it's just another option to think about. And um, that I used to live at the end of Houston Ave, right next to the tennis courts. And this was like 20, 25 years ago. And there was a backboard there. And that was really loud at eight o'clock on Sunday morning uh, when they used the backboard. And they took the backboard down because people were complaining about it. But that was an example of, you, they didn't take out the tenants, they just took out the one thing that was bothering people the most. Yeah, I mean, what it's worth, I'm not really arguing anything just in the sense of I just want us to make sure we look at yeah things because what I'm afraid of is next year somebody comes in and says, you know, skateboard parks is the biggest thing. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Not to minimize it, but now we need to find a place for that. So you got to think of all these things. The other thing is I'm hoping in the feasibility study they're looking at, so if there's seven, and I get it, there are seven courts, but there are courts that you have to adjust and you have to do things to so they're not dedicated. So I get that, right? So you're competing for space. But my question would be, as I, or my comment would be, hopefully there's something in the feasibility study that says, this is how many courts we should have in the internet, right. knowing that there's Braintree here, there's something here, you've got seven here. Do you need 10 more? Or do you need two more? You know, not just where can you fit two more, but how many do you really need? Yeah. Kevin. Yes. <laughs> I do. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. There sorry. Um, all right. Thank you. I, it's almost 930 and we'll still have one more to go. You're going to be quick, right? I am. Extra points for progressing. Yes, walk up door. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to comment. Kevin's been on the on the call. Um, I'm a my name is Scott McVeigh. I'm a former um, park commissioner, and the idea of a global study across the town has been discussed in the past. Um, it was a matter of funding, um, and I think this year some things, at least for CPA wise, took precedent before taking that step. I can't see why that can't be a a really good use of CPA funds for next year. I, I appreciate that. Only and not to take longer yeah. than this, but it doesn't mean you need to do anything. It just gives you a sense, right? I agree. In, in in taking stock of what the inventory is in terms of fields, but also what the use is going to be long term, it's just smart. Yeah, it, you know, yeah, going to the task of the recreation open space plan. Yes, that's you know the intent. Exactly, that scope of work. Yeah. Oh, is is there funding for that? Is there? Oh yeah, yeah Josh could address that. I'm sure in the process. So is that is that what it, is that what the open space and rec committee is doing right now? Or? Yes, they're reviewing work that is being done by Harley uh, Wood consultants. We're working on it. So if we're doing this now, like that's like pickleball, you know, not that specific. The pickleball study, much like the World Park study, would would certainly supplement. It would supplement the plan be useful and worthwhile. But it's not it's not like something that happens in a vacuum. 
don't have to remember what it costs for that town-wide thing when you got uh, the money, right? Uh, Looking at just the parks. We listed it three bids. We did do an RFP that was less than 50 grand. So it's probably just about that. It might be 40 bucks. Yeah. To double the money, you can do everything. <laughs> and who's which department is doing that? Parks or? I bet you it's more. It's a lot of So let's say it's six. Yeah, we have 20 or 60. Okay. Sorry, so you're on the floor. Right. Again, my name is Sean McKay, I'm a former <laughs> park commissioner, and I sit on the board of um, Milton Farmers Market and also on the board of Friends of Milton Recreation. So, so this application that we that um, we the Milton Farmers Market and Friends of Milton Recreation are both 501c3 organizations. So we propose this as a joint um, committee to ask for funding to study um, some rehabilitation, but also some repurposing of Wharf Park that's down near the waterfront. It's a, a fairly heavily used park on certain times um, of the year and also certain times of the week. The farmer's market's been down there since 1996. Um, and it's that's on Thursdays from one to five, one to six, and that that time frame. So, just based on the topography there, and you can see it in the bottom right hand slide, um, there's a fairly significant slope from the Adams Street side down towards um, uh, 88 Wharf, Wharf 88. So, with that and just use over the years, there's a lot of exposed roots, and um, the soil system there is in pretty tough shape. So. There has been conversation within the Milton Farmers Market Board that the space is relatively unsafe to continue to operate the market. And last year, we spent some time trying to, to find a different spot in town that might suit our needs a little bit better. Um, and just having conversations, um, we ended up having a conversation with um, the planning department to see if there could possibly be some a relationship that we could, could have and this area is right for redevelopment um, there is it's a overlay zoning district so there's going to be some changes happening in the next several years and i think this particular park is a, is a cornerstone green space within that so working with the planning department to say all right well perhaps we could rehabilitate this park um, in the long run to make it more usable for not only um, the farmers market, but inviting folks in other community um, organizations to use the space, um, perhaps putting a gazebo in, maybe a stage, having some some um, either music or theater in the park, whatever it happens to be, just make it a more inviting space for folks in the neighborhood to use. Folks in the to use. <laughs> Doesn't have any benches, and there's a, there's a pretty decrepit. Um, and actually, you can see it in that, that shot. It's a actually there is a there's, there's a lot actually you can see it. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't look very solidified. So, um, and actually, there it had a picnic bench and uh, one of the trees and that the the, uh, the branches in the tree in the middle fell and smashed up bigger pieces over the over this year. So, um, there's only one uh, picnic bench there now, but. 
There's also a walkway that bisects the park, and you can see that on the top right slide. Um, it is in complete disrepair, very dangerous to walk on, certainly not um, ADA accessible. Um, not only is it unsafe, but it also takes away from full usage of the park. So um, this study is to design and potentially engineer either better topography, use the land better, um, there's an exposed root system that needs to be worked on. Um, if there's any way to either add land to the to the east side or lower the land to the west side to even the, the space off, um, those are the considerations again for a study that we would be, be going for. Um, so that is the plan that that is, that is on the table now. We did informally talk to three or four different architecture firms on whether or not a $25,000 estimate would be appropriate or not. Um, and they all came back with a yes. And we actually got one of them to put that in writing that it would be $25,000 just to study it and, and come up with some, some schematics and the design would be appropriate for somebody to ask for. So uh, also in terms of budgeting for the larger project, that's gonna come downstream. That's somewhere around $250,000 um, would be the additional cost to redo the park. So again, it depends on what kind of amenities are, are put in at the park, um, but that's just to give you an idea of what a potential project could look like. But again, I think this is a great park, not only from uh, being on the farmer's market and using the space, but again, with the redevelopment in that area, we need to keep our blue and green spaces available to for, for public use. And I think this would be a, a great opportunity to make it a more useful space for most of them. I'm a little confused about the difference between the feasibility study and what the 250 estimate, which looked like it was more detailed actually than the feasibility study. Yes. I so, so it's, it's, it's the, it would be a first phase for design and engineering of the space. So the um, site survey, you know, what a set of construction documents could look like, reaching out to the neighbors and different users of the parks, working with the planning department to see what this space could actually look like to be able to then take the next step and ask for the funding to do the construction. So really it's like, it's, pre, it's all the pre-construction work to get this essentially shovel ready for, next, for the next round of, of funding. What would you imagine it being different than what is proposed in terms of the? There's a lot of, and perhaps you could just landscape <laughs> <laughs> architect on the um, like there, there's a lot of dirt work that needs to happen to to level off this park. Like you can see in that picture, it's a it's a severe slope. Um, it is not ADA accessible. That would be something that um, I, I think would be a cornerstone of this project to make it available to all folks in open. Yeah, and Jenny, I think I think I think it was premature to try to put together the construction outfit yeah. construction estimate because you have no idea what the scope is going to be. Uh -huh. You know, so they were trying to get toward you know a study. You know, I don't even know this thing about putting construction documents together. Like, you know. How can you budget that? You don't know if you're going to be bringing electricity into the park, which means you need an electrical engineer. Mm -hmm. You don't know what kind of structure you're going to build there. Right. You know, is it something out of a catalog that you just put there, or is it 
you know, designed. So it, in it's my mind, it's even kind of premature to try to put an estimate on putting construction documents together. But certainly to study the existing conditions of the site, you know, I, I think the trees have to be evaluated, the soil compaction has to be evaluated, the soil quality's got to be evaluated, and then based on that, you know, start working on design alternatives for it. And based on a selected design, you can then put together a scope of work for final engineering and for construction. But I think so. I think this is a great start. I think you know, I think this amount of money can get a very good proposal. Um, since it's going to have to go out and get proposals from consultants, different consultants will kind of see this differently. Um, I think it's a good budget for the work that's being anticipated but trying to think of what a construction budget might be i think it's a little premature i think it's helpful to have these numbers in our yeah. head as we go look forward because we yeah. we do have potential like visibility studies yeah. so whether it's 250 300 whatever you know yeah i know it's it's good to have it in the back of our mind because they're going to come you're going to come back and look for money for you know. well and to, you know the, the this concept of the process to get it to a point of coming to you folks and asking for two hundred fifty thousand right. to do the park. You can't. You time a problem for you long. <laughs> so I think to to give this a little bit of space to breathe and really get input on what this park could be, um, it's going to allow for some of that time. I don't know if you wanted to mention timeline. Um, I, I don't think this is going to. It's not going to take a full year. Um, once July one hits, I think we can get some consultants in in fairly short order to be able to get this thing back if, if we're going to consider this next year for cpa funds or you guys well, want to consider it that's something else i want to mention because the timing of these things the way this goes is it's going to take you some time to do the feasibility study that won't happen until the fall we you've already missed next year's funding because we really what i would like to do is roll this back we we are like coming right on the edge of where town meeting like we should have these articles in already and so we kind of want to roll that back a few months. Um, so, um, you know, we just have to think about that as forward as our committee goes forward, because, you know, it's crazy to like, you know, two months, give you guys two months to put all this stuff together. And so just also the, 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 the amount of money that's being requested won't have to go through the RFP process either. It's still below that threshold that it is for design services. So if, this proposal is going to be funded by CPA. I think some of the behind the scenes legwork can be done before the actual funding starts, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So we can have conversations with folks that's not going to cost us anything yeah. and hit the ground running in July 1st. Um, I just wanted to say that um, when we did the overlay district for the, this area, um, there is a proposal that's been talked about about you know putting um, housing over the parking lot at the at the uh, Milton Station. So to have the town ready with a plan for the park that could then be used to um, talk to developers to sort of contribute towards that makes a lot of sense. And to have just to have the study, the feasibility study. Have some sort of thing that you can then show to the developer to say this is what we have To have that in amenity for a project is a great thing mm -hmm. to have at hand. Yeah. 
Well, a feasibility study touch, I, you know, this is a historic area of town with the lockup, with the wharf, um, is, and obviously the focus is on the soil and the, the accessibility of it, but we'll, I don't know if there's anything there about the history of the site and what this, you know, will, will the consultant be able to look at that and what, and I can't see why they wouldn't be able to. I mean, I, mean, I don't know what that might speak to this, but my, my understanding was that there's been some discussion over the years that this could, could have been in Olmstead Park. And you know, really? that's our planning director strongly disagrees with that. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think <laughs> no. that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not sure. That's that's there was a guy, my, my friend, Jack Lowe's great-grandfather, had a shipyard right back there. So there wasn't an Olmstead Park. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a kind of thing. No, but I can see if there's history on the side. <laughs> well, there is. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's cool. Yeah. But even in cool history, yeah, talking about the ships. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's that speaks to coordination with all the other activities going down there. There's you know, people looking at redevelopment of the, the lockup right. and the whole lockup. waterfront there and the, the parks and open space and other things and, and the um, overlay district and things like that. So I think all those groups should be brought into a discussion of how this space can complement yeah, everything right. else going on. Right. The Milk Landing Committee, which is doing the lockup, did issue a letter of support for this yeah. Yes. And, yeah. And, yeah. And you know, I, I was not around, but I was able to watch the planning board conversation in terms of why it was important for this particular project to get um, a letter of support from the planning department. And I think it goes. I wish I was able to speak up at the meeting, but I think this particular project within the scope of, of what is happening in that area is important, and to have a partner in the planning board who's taking a look at the overall space and what this park is within that development, I think is important. So it's just another letter of support from someone down there who's who's saying, you know, this is important to the, to the overall picture. And to me, that kind of speaks to, again, this talks about preparing construction documents. I'd rather see the 25,000 go for the historic research, the environmental investigations, the coordination with everything else going there and some creative ideas and, you know, use this to get a picture of what the park might be, coordinating all those people. And then the next phase can be to do the, the design and engineering and, and yeah, construction. Great. Any other uh, questions, comments? That's great. That's it. We're we're done for tonight. We learned one thing. We're it's going to be tough with six athletes. <laughs> although I think, although I think, I think, I think that you know, let's hope it'll be a little bit. Cool. Keep it tight. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's hard though. To, you know, well, to not be you know, keep you keep us on track. Yeah. We we were too bad. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, motion to adjourn. Yeah. 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 Going to get a motion to adjourn. Second. All right. All of the favor. Are we in this room next week? We are. I think we're here.